For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcast. Best of luck to Cork Airport across the bank holiday weekend. The Echo says they should welcome 53,000 passengers this August bank holiday weekend, with Sunday expected to be the busiest day. It's a great airport. I know they'll be able to handle it and they'll do their best. 53,000 coming in on holidays, maybe people coming back for the bank holiday weekend, a lot of tourists, but maybe a lot of Cork people back on Leeside as well. 53,000 of them. Big number, isn't it? Front page of the Echo today talks about the uh, topic that's never far from uh, the talk, or at least this programme over the last few days, and that's the National uh, Transport Authority's proposal these 12 strategic transport corridors uh, for Cork, transport corridors for buses really and bikes and the consequences of what they have to do to get this to work, this 600 million euro project. Uh, And most of the complaints or the observations so far have to do with the Mangala Valley and the Ballybrack Woods out around the Grange Road, Donnybrook area. It's a front pager making this morning's uh, echo on the lines of Save Our Woods. Lots from the courts this morning. A very, very disturbing court case where a woman told a jury at a rape trial that her ex-husband threatened to cut her fingers off with the secateurs in his hand, also threatened to kill her if she didn't do what he wanted her to do. He uh, now has been convicted of raping, threatening and sexually assaulting his ex-wife at the time when they were still living in the same house and she goes into quite some detail as to how terrified she was on a number of occasions. That's a story that makes this morning's Echo Court reports and also some interesting stats out this morning uh, that says that more than 50 prosecutions for coercive control have been taken since the offence was introduced onto the statute books back in 2019. I'm mentioning this of course because it's a topic that's connected following the conviction on Tuesday of Garda Paul Moody for coercive control. He's a 42-year-old who harassed, threatened, assaulted, controlled his former partner over four years after they met online in 2017. Now, he's been convicted. He got three years and three months um, and uh, it, it, she, she's terminally ill. This misfortunate woman has, has to deal with cancer at the very same time as everything else. Now, she spoke out yesterday. Now, we don't know who she is. She spoke out, um, you know, on the, on the basis of anonymity. Um, but she, uh, one or two extra pieces to this story that have come out over the past 24 hours are that uh, the Gardaí are now continuing to investigate a claim that she made uh, that she called Moody's superior officer at the Garda station only to have someone divert the call to Moody himself. Oh my God, the shock she must have got, the horror. So he was jailed on Tuesday for uh, three years and three months for his campaign of hate and intimidation. Um, And she's also very uh, critical of a social worker who she said did not believe her story. And she's critical uh, also with friends of the now ex-Garda who continued to give him support after he was charged and later later, uh, pleaded guilty. So she's speaking out and has been doing so. It's on the front of this morning's mail today. In in other news, um, I know that a lot of things were blamed for COVID and still... Uh, one or two things continue to be blamed for COVID-19. Like the examiner this morning called it the COVID-19 hangover. And it's to blame for NCT testing delays, with some having to wait up to six months uh, to get an appointment in some centres. I, I find that, I, I kind of find it hard to believe. 
um, because you can pick up the phone and actually talk to them, you know, uh, and you can ask for a cancellation. Um, and I actually did that a couple of months back now, and, and I got one. So, I mean, I, I understand that apparently the examiner tried to get a booking online yesterday for Little Island and found that the earliest booking they could get was for late December. So if you stop at just trying to book it, I suppose that's it. But you pick up the phone they can probably help you at another time. Do, N- do NCT centres go like 12 hours, 15 hours, 24 hours? I know the one at Little Island is baiting the cars out the yin Just very, very busy down there. And then, as if we didn't know, um, but we're reminded again on the front of the examiner that poor people hit, are hit the highest by price increases. Uh, that's a kind of a gimme. You know, you don't understand why. But the breakdown then in the mail, the amount of people who are on job seekers allowance for more than a decade, and the vast majority of them have to say, over 4,000 of the 15,000 anyway, it's not the vast majority, but a huge chunk of them are in Dublin, uh, followed by Cork, then Donegal, Galway, Louth and Wexford. This would be people who are on job seekers allowance, 15,000 of them for more than 10 years. Some would suggest that nobody should be allowed to stay on job seekers for 10 years, that you should be able to find a job at some stage during that. And there's an incredible investigation now gone on in Spain for a few years now that has busted a €2 million per year tarmac scam. Uh, so the Spanish cops have been investigating this for three years. It's a really interesting story because it happens here all, all so often where people get ripped off in scams and fraudulently uh, hand over money for work that's not done. This is a tarmac fraud. You know the way it is. They've arrested two men and a woman now from Ireland, aged between 24 and 57. Uh, they were operating in the Rathkeel Rovers' latest fraud. Um, a Limerick-based traveller gang began in 2019. It's begun on down there in, in Spain, in Valencia. Uh, you know the way it works. They go, do, they go in and they say that they're going to pave an area outside a client's company. It's usually big companies they target uh, at a bargain price. They don't do the work. It's substandard work, but the misfortunes who hire them to do the work, they pay up front. Um, and you know you talk about investigations. Remember Wag at the Christie. Well, there's a Cork woman is to direct a dramatic reconstruction of the high-profile defamation case uh, between Rebecca Vardy and Colleen Rooney. I'd, I'd watch that, actually. I'd be really interested in how that would roll out, a drama like that. It's a two-part docudrama called Vardy versus Rooney and it is being directed and put together by Una Carney from Ballantemple in Cork. And I just want to wish her the very best of luck with that. Can't wait to see it. I might have an opportunity to chat with her sometime in the future. Can I just... I know we mentioned a couple of words earlier in the week. One, one was manspreading and the other was mansplaining. They're new words now, of course, that are used. Um, and it's... It, mansplaining has featured in the uh, leadership race for uh, the Conservative Party and... And also because of that, of course, the next British Prime Minister, because Rishi Sunak has been accused of mansplaining in debates. Um, and I sometimes, and this is this is just personal, I just sometimes think that the term mansplaining is thrown about way too often. And, and you know what? It's a hurtful term. And sometimes it can be an unfair term. And it's dropped on men uh, way too easily, I think. Because I think a lot of the time, misfortunately, or misfortunate men, are just trying to make a point. Um, but it's just the point I wanted to make because he's being accused of it now, mansplaining, as if he's as if he's talking down to people or lecturing people. And I don't think that's always the way. Anyway, that's just my own tuppence on that one. Um, if you're a fan of McDonald's, well, the cheeseburger's gone up. 
Uh, all of their burgers are going up. The breakfasts are going up. Burgers, breakfast meals, main meals, large coffees, McFlurries. Some of the go large options will rise as well. They say that they've held off for as long as they can. I think something like 14 years, I think, since this. It's like 14 years, I think, or read somewhere since their last price increase. So the McPrice hike. That's a good one, isn't it? The McPrice hike. And the reasons behind it, of course, rising prices of electricity, fuel, transport costs and everything. They can't hold back anymore. And then there's the fella in the star who went into this place and asked for a pint bottle of Bulmers and they didn't have it. So he said, hey, give me any old bottle of Bulmers. Give me a bottle of cider, I don't mind. So they gave him a craft bottle of cider. Um, not the biggest one in the world, um, 500 millilitres of cider, but craft cider. Um, and in Ireland... Perhaps only in Ireland. It left a right sour taste because he was charged ten euro fifty for it. I mean, I wouldn't even. What would the cost of a pint bottle of Bulmers be? Six, 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 six fifty. Yeah, we're kind of agreed on six to six fifty. And then advertising dominates um, this morning's mail because there have been a list of complaints against different advertising companies or companies that advertise their products, particularly on social media. And this is to the Advertising Standards Authority. And one that stands out glaringly misleading is a complaint upheld against the beauty guru, guru Suzanne Jackson's makeup brand. After an Instagram post suggested the model's dramatic eye look had been created by the mascara and the pencil featured in the ad. When in actual fact, she was wearing false eyelashes. Now, I think that is Awfully, awfully unfair on people who would see that ad and buy the mascara or buy the pencil thinking that they would have lashes or eyes like that when there was ne'er a mention at all about the fact that there were also false eyelashes. Do you follow me? So that's just a typical example. I think, you know, in the online world, certainly with some influencers and bloggers and some Instagram pages and what like that and things like that, everything is not as it seems. And that's just one example of it, a misleading Instagram post. But if you want... The perfect formula to start your day. Yeah, I know. I'm going to tell you. They've researched it. There's a mathematical equation to it. But when you break it down, they say uh, to start the day right, get out of bed at 12 minutes past seven. I don't know why 12, but they say it should be 12 minutes past seven. Uh, At 12 minutes past seven, there'll be an awful lot of people late for work, right? So 12 minutes past seven. Exercise for 21 minutes. So now it's nearly half past seven, not a child now is washed. So get up at 12 minutes past seven, exercise for 21 minutes. To feel chirpy rather than grumpy, spend 10 minutes in the shower and then take 18 minutes over breakfast. At that stage, it's like a quarter to nine, I'd say. Um, 10 minutes in the shower. I know people that would spend 30 minutes in the shower. Me, I'm a kind of a two to three minute shower guy. I just want to get it done. Yeah, just in, out, done. Uh, Ten minutes would be way too long for me. I get the feeling that it was being washed away. And then, you know, with regards to your friends, there's also kind of a, well, it's not so much a formula, but there is the top 20 reasons why a friend is a great friend. Um, And a real friend is someone brave enough to actually tell you that, yes, your bum really does look too big in that. So a good friend will be very honest with you when it comes to a fashion choice or clothing that you are wearing. Not just that. So they'll give honest advice, I suppose. They also say that the average friendship lasts 17 years. What happens after 17 years? Does the friend die? 
Do you fall out with the friend? Do they move to Australia? Some would suggest that's the same as dying. Um, but there is a top 10 and a top 20 as to um, how a good friend should be. Uh, so number one is be a good listener. Number two, be a problem solver. Number three, make each other laugh. Some would say that should be number one. Now, the ability to make someone laugh has got to be a really great talent and friendship. Number four, always tell the truth. <laughs> number five, keep each other's secrets. Do you know something? I learned years ago, and I just passed this on as opposed to being accused of mansplaining. It talks about number five being keep each other's secrets. I learned years ago that if someone, if you're sitting down with someone and they're talking about other people, right? So if someone is talking about other people, you can be damn sure that they're talking about you, right? So always bear that in mind. If your friend is a gossiper about others, they're gossiping about you to others. So the rest of them, number six, give an opinion and have your head bitten off. Number seven, don't judge mistakes. Number eight, try to lift them up when they receive bad news. Nine, be ready to offer tea and sympathy. And number 10, be willing to help with any situation, big or small. There are other ones like pick them up if they're stranded. Like stranded where now? Patrick Street is one thing, but Killarney, quite another. Dublin Airport, I don't think so. But there you have it nonetheless. There are more than those. We'll come back to them throughout the course of the morning. And one that I didn't mention yesterday, they were talking about the world's favourite smells. I guess you couldn't say that the smell of pork or bacon frying would be a world favourite smell because in some countries they don't eat pigs, they don't dig swine. Um, But bacon sizzling on a frying pan voted our number one smell. I would have I would have thought it would be the smell of freshly baked bread myself or freshly brewed coffee but apparently it's bacon sizzling on the frying pan. There are others though besides those three, right? Lavender, roast beef, sun cream. What are you talking about the smell of sun cream? Chlorine at a swimming pool. What? Petrol. I can understand that. I spoke some years back actually with pregnant women. Because apparently, in some cases, women who are pregnant, it does, it does trigger weird smell um, uh, passions, I suppose. Uh, one of them was petrol. The other was tarmacadam. Tarmacadam. The smell of freshly laid tar. So I don't know whether yours are included in any of those. I'll just round them off by saying some of the other much-loved spell- smells include deep heat, <laughs> cigar smoke, and the smell of wet dog... Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. Yes, indeed. You can always email neil at redfm.ie. One of the topics that I've dealt with yesterday, and I'll come back to other stories from across the week also, but one of the ones that I touched on yesterday was uh, a man by the name of Andrew McFarlane, who's the head of the family courts in England and Wales. And he said that around about a fifth of marriage breakups should never be in court. And more and more are going to court and end up actually really suing each other in court and they're fooling themselves if they think that it's not affecting their children he said too many are ending up in court because couples see the end of a relationship as not the end of a relationship but a legal issue and it's not and I was telling you the story of what was behind what he was saying he says it's not a legal issue it's a relationship problem that they have and we're seeing at first hand um, that the courts now are the first part of call, but that they should be the last. As long as there aren't issues dealing with domestic abuse or protection orders or safeguarding, everything else should be at least attempted 
uh, to be sorted out before you go into the adversarial, hostile environment of family court. So that's what he was saying. Court cases are still listed very adversariously as one person versus another. And they use terms like opponent, applicant, respondent. They can be very impersonal. And it's a wake-up call to, I suppose, parents also, that if they think it's not affecting their children, that they should think again the adversarial system of going to court for a breakup in a relationship and a divorce. And and, and that's I mentioned that again this morning because I want to chat with Selena Furlong and just pick up on some of those thoughts with regards to our court system because she said recently that family law is destroying men, women and their families and uh, is involved in several websites and WhatsApp groups that help families that are being torn apart through a divorce. I think this might even move into areas of um, parental alienation in the event of a, a breakup of a relationship where there are children involved. Selena, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Strong words, you say. Uh, family law is destroying men, women and families. When you say families, you're talking about their children. Yes. Um, I suppose what people and the public don't realise if two people are going through a breakup um, whether, you know, a man and woman, um, regardless of a gender, both are vulnerable. Both are extremely vulnerable, extremely, in a way, hurt, regardless of who's hurt too. So when they are in a situation in a house and they go to somebody and say, what do I do? We, we won't even bring the children into it at this moment. Um, the first protocol people will say is, ring a solicitor. You need to go to court. And unfortunately... That is what the message is still being put out there. To Actually, the, that's, to, what, to that's what the head of the family courts in England and Wales said at the weekend, just like you are, that it shouldn't be the first port of call to call a solicitor or to go into court. Um, but anyway, carry on. Far from me to, and are you going to give us some, some, some examples of the people that you deal with and your group helps and counsels and advises? Well, I'm going to try and be brief because the most important thing to me is the children. Um, You have to remember you have very, very innocent children and young adults. It doesn't have to be a four or five-year-old. You could have teenagers, you could have 18, 19-year-olds. And you have to remember these are vulnerable. These children did not have to be born. And they're looking at a mom and a dad, and we, which something very important here is a child loves both its biological parent. That has been proven in all of the studies. Um, And then when you get to the situation where parents are vulnerable and they're looking, what do we do? We've got to sort out house. We've got to sort, instead of straight away, they being able to go to, okay, I'm going to go to a support group or I'm going to go into mediation or I'm going to ring someone. And this is what's lost because straight away they go back into a system of a solicitor and a mm. barrister. Mm. And remember, a solicitor and a barrister are out to win. Mm. I, I'm not saying all, but the majority are study to win. They win at all costs. They don't see, they don't meet these children. Mm. They, they don't want to know what ages the children are. They, they, they don't want to know what these children are going through. You have to remember, they're going into a court system and that's like going into a, a movie to them because they want to walk out and win. So you they want to win. They want going, to win for their client. They want to win for their client. Remember, they, but, their client, but the client is but the, a client. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And the client wants to, in inverted commas, win as well. Well, not exactly. Yes, that's what's put out there, and that's what family law will say. Oh. 
a person. But at the end of the day, you have to remember, a man and a woman that is entering into a court system are already, they're, they're already going through a broken relationship. They're vulnerable. They could have been with this person for 10 years, for 20 years, and that is the other parent of their children. So if the right is straight away, it should be mediation and counselling. But you're going into a system where you're going into a judge, you're going into a lawyer and a barrister, and you're going into a court that is protected by in-camera rule. But I, you ultimately will at some stage have to go into a court, won't you, to get your divorce? Well, well, yes and no. Of course you can, but that can be done in a very easy way. But if you go into a system with no... If, if, you, if you're going to, just say, if people are going through a breakup, and you now some people nowadays, it's, uh, there isn't a divorce, because there's a lot of partners, and, you know, it's, it's that I, way I understand as well. their partner, yeah. But, yeah, but yeah. When, when they're nasty, it changes, and you do need the backup of a solicitor in court. If, if it's to do with, say custody or visitation rights or if there's some sort of course of control going on or if there's correct, the, the, if there's correct. the worry of parental alienation there's also finances the division of assets the hiding of assets the you know um, secret bank accounts all sorts of different areas correct but again I'm going to go back to a man and a woman already in a place of hurt both genders here both are hurt, regardless of what's happened to break up a partnership or a marriage. And then you're, pull, you're adding fire. You're putting them into a system that is turning these two people against, more, against each other more because you have two solicitors or two barristers that are out to win. Mm. And then in front of a judge. Whereas the problem we are, and, and I think, and family law, and we now have the most amazing woman, Helen McAtee, who, who is... I, I, who is definitely, who is a highly intelligent woman, who can see already due to the latest study that this is not working. Well, what this she's system. looking at is the aspect of parental alienation, which is being... She's looking at everything. But she's isn't that coming before violence. the Irish courts more now? Uh, yes. Parental alienation. Yes. Is, yes. is that during a relationship or du- during and after a divorce or separation? It actually can happen beforehand because if one person falls out of love or if one person has been, look, it, uh, it's not, you know, if a relationship is breaking up and one person is hurt, regardless, that's a man or a woman. A lot of times what they will do is they will try to bring those children um, to their side because they know that any parent, well, 90% of parents, what is their one vulnerable spot is their children. Is is it, it's a one way to hurt someone else, so they will actually try to innocent children will be you know maybe book more stuff or promise more things, and they will use those children to hurt that other parent. And we're seeing more and more of that. If Helen McEntee is talking about it, it must be happening more, is it? It's all over the country. It's all over the world, but it's it's, it's huge in Ireland and the UK at the moment. And um, Helen is. It, it, it's so big at the moment that she's done an amazing study on it and parents have gone forward. But again, what we need briefly is if we had a family court with, we'd say, 15 judges that are just trained in parental alienation or divorce, but you're going into a court system where a judge could have just had criminal law five minutes beforehand. He then has seven minutes to talk to two parents that already have been asked to battle against each other. You're, you're yeah, but I've heard of ju- I've heard of judges in courts telling both parties, "Go on away, sort this out yourselves." Because if you go into this legal system and you don't sort it out amongst yourselves as grown adults, you'll be years at this. They have said that. 
Correct, and you're right, Neil. And and years means the majority of people at the moment, research is showing now, to even go through a divorce or to sort out with mostly children's access or houses, it's four or five years. Can you imagine what that's costing any parent? Right, and of course, who's benefiting here would be um, the legal profession, yeah? We have parents after paying out 40,000, 50,000, 60,000. We've got some dads that live in cars across Ireland um, because the family home went to the mum uh, and the, you know, if the children are under 12, um, the majority will still, you know, be with the mum. If they go over 12 or 14, you know, if the father's in a good financial position, he can have the access to children and the mother can have certain amount of rights. So it's, it's again, you've got to remember, and this is a crucial point, a judge does not want the responsibility of saying to either parent, okay, I'm going to give you 50-50 access if there's been false allegations because that judge is worried if anything happens so they pass that straight away because judges are not trained in, 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 in you know the psychology of a breakup so they will pass something that takes another four months for a court psychologist to intervene with whereas if we can have the mediation and both parents you know get the support at the beginning the difference but how will he mediation how can you turn around a parent who is psychologically manipulating children how can you get you them it. like the the i was researching it this morning as to what you know if we were to look at the, the term parental alienation it's where a child becomes estranged from a parent as a result of psychological manipulation of the other parent how do you how do you, is, cha- how do you how do you stop a father or a mother doing that it is probably one of the worst abuses in the world it is i don't think any words can justify what has been done or no no word no words are no one could could nobody when they marry someone or whether they live with someone nobody would ever believe that that person would do that to another person so this is where we have you can understand why across the world at the moment regardless of what country we have millions not yeah, but, thousands but i'm wondering how do you change the mindset of a psychological manipulator if you don't drag him into court and have the evidence to show to a judge that this is what he or she is doing and have it stopped because the answer straight away is when you're dragging this person into court, I, I, I'm not a psychologist, okay? So when you're dragging an already angry person, even if they have a personality disorder or even if they're on some kind of spectrum, I'm not going to go there in that. You're already making that individual, whether it's a man or a woman here now, you're already making that person more angry because you're dragging them into a system where they, they might want to win, but they're paying out more money. They're out to drag that other parent down. And to them, they're not using their children. Their attitude is, oh, well, these are my children. Whereas to me, and I'm hoping across Ireland, we'll see this. And it's actually happening. It's going to happen in um, 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 Holland at the moment. They've come up with an amazing new plan. So that when they sit these two parents down, there will be a, someone trained, a psychologist who is so trained in alienation or personality disorders that they will educate that person because they know what that person is doing to, okay, this is what's going to happen. That's assuming, this, that, that's assuming that they'll admit that they have a problem or that they're engaging they in it. To admit, because there's always, there's always written, there's texts, there's emails, there is always evidence, Neil. 
always evidence. Well, not not always. I mean, a father or a mother could say nasty things about each other to the children that are lies. You, you say about buying them presents and showering them with money and gifts, but it's also the things that they might say. But you wouldn't be able to prove that unless you unless you drag the children in to get them to fess up as to what was said to them. Well, unfortunately, Neil, this is what's happening. Yeah. Unfortunately, across this country, children, innocent children are being dragged into it. And this is why they, they, this is why so many of us across Ireland do this work, because you have eight-year-olds now being asked to go in front of judges. You have 10-year-olds. You've got, you know, children coming to... But what's wrong? Is that a bad thing? Forgive me now. I'm not in any way involved in the legal profession. But what would be so wrong with the judge having a chat with the child? Just asking the child, honestly, how are you feeling? What do you want to do? What's going on in your little life? Okay, okay. Because any child, whether they are 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, they love both parents. Across the world, the research shows, I love my mom, I love my dad. Any child does, even if they know their mother is not great, even if they know their father is. Remember, a child is part of two people. They, of course, they go on to become their own person and their own identity. But that comes from a lot of a love of two parents, two biological parents. And then they're asked to go in front of a judge and the judge will ask questions. They're already after being brainwashed. You can go in and say A, B and C. And if a judge is not trained in, in, in so many ways true, of, true. you know, the judge is going to hear my, you know, my dad does A, B and C, my mom. And a judge is ticking boxes. And very goes, true well, also is the fact that a child won't want to say anything hurtful about either parent. That's true. A child does not want to. We, again, family law, we focus on the two parents, whereas we forget we're asking children young children with with brains that are not even developed or mature enough to deal with adult situations and put them in a situation. And I know, I get young adults to ring me, me say, quite young, and they will be in court or they will have been dragged into court. They go to bed afterwards and they're crying because they know that if they didn't say certain things about that other parent... They were, the consequences are horrendous. And actually the consequences for children, a child or children, again, I was just doing some work on this this morning, because of, say, for instance, parental alienation, where they're caught in the middle of it, right? Low self-esteem, self-hatred, depression, anxiety, trust issues, substance abuse, um, and God knows what kind of a life they'll have. Early sexual activity. Um, you, you could go on um, dropping out of school, uh, as you said, drug drug abuse. You they they they're either going between two homes or they're living in a home. Imagine us all of us growing up and all the the tensions we might have had. You know, with peer pressure, or school, and trying to well now double that again in a society where it's social media. So you know you need to get A's and B's in in your study and then you're caught in a household that if you want to go and see that other parent, you're being threatened. Yeah, actually, I didn't even mention low performance in school settings. That is another one as well. They become low achievers, I suppose, because of that is a consequence of it. 
because they're they're going to school and instead of focusing on their study, they're focusing, how do I keep my mom or dad happy? How okay. do I tell either parent I can't be with them? And yet there's no counselling. Yet the, 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 the schools now are being educated and the schools can do a certain amount. But the schools want, again, as you said, a certain personality. They they need to go to two biological parents and say, OK, we, we can do a certain amount of counselling. But again, it's going to be one parent who's going to say, no, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, I don't want my child. I, I want to get a legal interpretation of this in, in a few minutes, but just before I let you go, is your group more interested in keeping um, you know, separation out of an adversarial adversarial court system, or are you more honing in on tackling this ever-growing issue of parental alienation where the statistic, according to alienated.ie, is that there are 300,000 affected by it in Ireland? Our, the most important thing for our group across Ireland, and we'd have a WhatsApp group, a WhatsApp group in every county, is that straight away we, we protect, first of all, both genders, the mom, the mum and the dad, and we get them, them that free counselling and that support. And we work on that individual to get that support because if they're not calm and strong, then their children are absolutely, absolutely horrendous. And there is times where you have no choice. And we have some solicitors and barristers, not all, that we trust, that are in a group of 10, 15, that are so involved for the children. But the most important thing is that we get that support free, by the way. But you advise them to stay out of court, don't you? We don't advise because straight away, it's not that we, as you said at the beginning, Neil, there are certain situations where you cannot avoid court, as a house, okay. um, you know, pensions, yeah. look, I don't need to go on, you know, maintenance, um, access. Or the so division of assets are, 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 correct. are being questioned we, or being yes, withheld. Yeah. And on parental alienation right. though, how, how, can, how do you navigate through that? It actually can be very straightforward and Holland are getting it right. I mean, straight away, um, the majority of people, and we get both genders um, ringing us across the country. Um, at the moment, straight away, the first thing we educate in is just what, what, what you said yourself. The first thing is we say is, well, this is what's been done to your child. Do you want this done to your daughter? Do you want this done to your son? And the majority of parents, even the parents that are out to row and want everything, not all, but a lot will say, well, no, that, that, that's ridiculous. But when they see the backup of the research and they see that, well, actually, here is the evidence. This is what's happening to these children. 80%, 80% of both genders will pull back and go, well, I never knew that. Of course they didn't because they were never educated because they were never told. These, this is a damage to your child for the rest of their life unless you now find a way to navigate with your partner or your ex to make this successful instead of you going through the next five years in okay, court okay. and it costing you 60, 70,000. Okay, it's a good conversation to have and I hope that people get in touch actually and share their own thoughts on it. Uh, people can contact you through Alienated Parents Support Ireland uh, or Fathers Matter Ireland Facebook pages, is it? Yeah, and again, they can, again, Selena Furlong Facebook, and they, a lot of parents come on to me through that. So anyone, again, this is free. We're not asking for any money. It's okay. free support groups, free mediation, and free counsellors. Nice one. Thanks for taking the call, Selena. Okay, Stay in touch. thank you. Mind yourself. Thank Text you. Text 0868 lads. Get a legal perspective on this after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. Happy to chat with Vicky Buckley, family lawsuit. Solicitor at Buckley Law Solicitors in the city. Vicky, good morning. 
Hi Neil, how are you going? I'm good. Even Sir Andrew McFarlane, the head of the family courts in England and Wales, said that far too many marriage and relationship breakups end up wrongly in court. And if people think, if parents think it's not affecting their children, they're fooling themselves. Um, Pat says by text, solicitors and barristers are not out to win, Neil. They're out to make money. And they do that by controlling clients and stringing out cases for as long as possible. Your response to that? Um, okay, look, I, I suppose I was listening there earlier and um, it was being put forward that, you know, you're out to win and it becomes really adversarial and, you know, it drags it on and the whole lot. But I, I, I suppose what you're trying to do, and I, I'm, look, I'm, I'm talking, you know, as, as a family lawyer with a long time knocking around the course now to say this, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get the best results for your client, you know, and, you know, call it winning, call it losing. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? You might win on some points, you might lose on other points. But I, I think the main reason why people do have solicitors and, and barristers and family law courts is this is a hugely emotionally difficult situation for somebody to be in. Like, you know, you know, I, I, I've said it before to you. Like, you know, at one stage, these people genuinely did love each other and they fell in love and they got married. And now you're standing, you know, in a big, imposing sort of building with your whole life in a big document. So you do need to have the objectivity of your solicitor and or your barrister in the situation. If, um, if, if it's hostile, maybe, yeah? If it's hostile. But a lot of people who fall out of love don't have to go on to hate each other and turn hostile, surely. No, they don't. No, 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 absolutely not. And for me, there's lots of cases that come in before the court that aren't hostile. In fact, some people... I've seen over the years they might go for lunch together afterwards. Yeah. So, so why would they have needed? Know, why would they have needed to go into court at all? Then just explain that to me. Because I suppose if you start it, when you when you get married and there's a civil registration process, it's then recognised in the state that you are married. Which um, so obviously it has to be finalised by a court to actually you know pronounce the judicial separation legal judicial separation or the divorce. But wouldn't it be so listed in the court as say, for instance, if I was married to you? Prendival versus Buckley, wouldn't it? No. No? No, 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 no. It's only initials. Yeah, it's 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 only uh it's only initials. So, so it would be P versus B, would it? I'd be you'd That's be an right. applicant, I'd be a respondent, your yeah. solicitor against you, or in your case a barrister would be your opponent. You see all the language. Well, you do. I know, but if you take look look take the heat out of this, right? It's a very um you know, I mean the whole system is based on you know, hundreds of years ago and the phraseology is still there. But look, if you take the heat out of it, somebody does have to apply. Yeah? Somebody has to be, you or I, has to start the process. So they naturally then become an applicant, like an applicant for a loan yeah. or for housing or yeah. whatever. So, yeah. you know, t- take the heat out of that. And then the other person is the respondent. So I suppose that, that would come from by, by way of, if you are going for a divorce or you're going for separation, the paperwork that's put into the court, right? The applicant tells the judge the story as to when they got married or where they got married whether they have children or whether they go with or whether they have properties or no properties and then the other person particularly in cases where it is quite you know uh, could be you know a, a, a really bad breakup is the respondent and they get their chance then Say, you know what? I Absolutely. Really yeah. They should be in court if it's become hostile or it's about division of assets but and I suppose even, and I suppose if, yeah yeah go on. Even if it's not hostile they can respond as the respondent to the application before the court, right? You can put it that way, as saying, yeah, you know what? I agree with this person and we can rule all this on consent. 
and everyone starts in and does their ruling and it's done. The court is happy. The court isn't involved in personalities or which solicitors there, which barristers there, whatever the case is. The court is led by the provisions, and I sound very lawyer here now, the court is led by the provisions of the legislation for divorce and judicial separation. So once the court, given what's presented to them, is happy with regards to financial provision or division of assets and uh, maintenance, spousal maintenance, child maintenance, access as agreed or not agreed by the parties. Very important. Case, maybe. Yeah. The primary, in my, in my, in my case, that's, that's the priority in all of my cases. But after that, then the judge can say, and every judge will say it in every case, I am satisfied under the provisions of the Act. Okay. I know, I know you're travelling to Cork, court in East Cork, so I won't keep you much longer, but one other aspect that we dealt with was the issue of parental alienation, which seems to be becoming a much yes. bigger problem in Ireland, according to the statistics. Um, sometimes that can go hand in hand with issues involving access and custody. But how big yes. a problem is parental alienation, where a, a child becomes estranged from a parent as a result of psychological manip- manipulation by the other parents, the mother or the father? Well, I, I, I suppose it's, it's, it's hugely important, isn't it? Because I, I would do a lot of district court family law stuff as well, you know, and that's, that's where you really see um, the, the, the primary issues with regards to access and, and child welfare. Parental alienation is certainly a phrase now that all of us as practitioners have had to become more aware of. Um, but I suppose I was saying to lads when you called earlier on, like, we trained as lawyers, right, or solicitors or barristers, whatever you want to call us, right? But what the courts are doing now is, because parental alienation has to be recognised, it's internationally recognised, and whether or not it's internationally recognised, the court is seeing this firsthand, the damage that it's doing to children, yeah, by reason of angry parents. So I know that the judges are doing training courses so on recognising signs of parental alienation what? or recognising the damage on children because of it. Okay, and, and, and I know that all of this is covered under in-camera rules in court, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yes, it and is. and yeah, it's probably right that they're in-camera, yeah? So in-camera means the only people that can be involved in the case that can only be in there or can only, you can't discuss it with anyone afterwards is the parties in the case and that's to protect the people themselves. And I know there's discussion now that they should maybe open it up because People would say, oh, that was only protecting the judges or solicitors or, you know, they're all pals or this, that, whatever. It's not really, because, I mean, if you're going to family court, I say to anyone that comes in, that's hugely brave. You know, at one of the most difficult times in your life, you've had to come and talk to a random stranger, you know, be it me or, or anyone of my colleagues, and go into court and discuss what goes on behind your front door, you know, to another tree four different strangers. So I think it should be held in camera. And it well, if it were not in camera, you'd have reporters in there reporting on it. You'd also you have, you'd have, you'd have, have nosy, no, nellies. Nosy, yeah, nosy nellies. Yes, yes, you would. Nosy people who like to go to court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and people do like to go to court. I mean, I, I would do, you know, a nice bit of criminal work as well, you know, and people do come into open court and you're allowed to do that, you know. Um, but family law has to be, it has to be protected. Like if there's a decision made, you can, you can appeal the decision if you think the judge is unfair or you can judicially review the judge. So, you know, it's not protecting the judge in having nobody see what goes on. But just on this point, because I've only got a couple of minutes with you, as you know, but yeah. just, just on this point of parental alienation, if the figure has been yeah. put at 300,000 people affected by it, I don't know if that's 300,000 is ex-partners or ex-partners and all of their children because children become a consequence of this. So, 
Does it end up in court where one parent would actually go to court to say that their ex-partner is alienating them and manipulating the children against him or her? Is that happening? Yes, yeah, so what it does is under the domestic violence um, applications that can be brought, it's now recognised that mental and emotional abuse is, is a form of, of um, domestic violence, yeah? So, 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 so does that make parental alienation a crime? No, it doesn't, and that's very important. Um, so what it is, is it's, I, I would say it's a recognised um, kind of behavioural state, isn't it? There's no actual legal definition under legislation. Like, I did check this morning after I was talking to your lads that it's not under any of the family law acts. It's yet. not a no. hate crime, though, is it? It, it? It's not a hate. I mean, I suppose, look, that's the kind of legal system we live in. It, you know, you have to look at the act. Um, I don't know boring word, but you have to look at the offence, right? And, you know, theft is the taking of, you know, somebody else's property. How would you bring in parental alienation? I personally think it's a crime, for sure. I know I do, but it's not a criminal offence. Okay, but you, know you but, I, but you certainly yeah. also would, and you can go into court if you've been denied access and custody, that yeah. access, you know, and visitation that you're entitled to. But, but, okay. but, but I often hear from men who say they're blue in the face going back into court because they're being denied proper access. And the court warns the ex-partner, but it just continues over and over and is costing them money and legal fees all of the time. Yeah, so you can't you can look. I mean, the, the, I suppose there's a limit as to what, it, what the judge will actually take on evidence, right? And if it's an issue of parental alienation or a different kind of psychological issues that are going on in the house, the court will order um, for a report to be done by a recognised child psychologist whereby they will actually sit down with the child and go through in their level of expertise because I suppose we are limited by law, aren't we? You know, as in, it, like, the court will recognise that there is a problem and they will refer it to the experts in that area. And if somebody's being denied access or if somebody's being, if there was an access order made and it's not being held up, you, you, you can bring it back in for a breach. And there is there is actually criminal sanctions for a breach of a, of, of a, of a court order. Uh, but has any ex-partner ever been sent to jail for denying access? The reason I ask you that is, I've yes. received emails in the past, and it happens to be from men who have been... Yeah have paths beaten into the courts trying to get due access and it's being denied them and excuses are made and it's this psychological game that's being played with them all the time. But they also tell me that if they were to, meet, if they were to miss one week's maintenance payment, they'd be in Limerick jail within 24 hours. No, it's the same, it's the same, it's the same consequences for a breach of maintenance or a breach of access, right? Both are deemed to be contempt of court and it's a breach of that. People probably have got more jail time because of breach of maintenance Traditionally, yeah, but I, I think that I, like the, the court is an ever-evolving machine, and I would, and I'm not defending it in any respect. But I'm being honest; it is evolving on a daily basis now. As to this kind of old-school Zafonian, well, if you don't give me my money, you're not seeing your children. That's not acceptable. That's not acceptable. And you can't. There are there are criminal sanctions, and there will be a bench warrant issued. And the guys will go and arrest uh, Yes, a, a bench warrant issued for non-payment of maintenance. I wonder how many bench is- warrants are issued for non-access. I don't, well, I don't know. I don't know how many, but I've seen it myself. And I, I have taken a sharp intake of breath when the warrant is raised. Okay, well, well so, you have seen it then. Know, okay, well, that answers my question. Have, have, so, so just yeah. finally, you wouldn't accept what many people would think, that really the legal profession wish to draw everything out for as long as they can because it means more money. 
So I think, um, as you know, Neil, I practice in Australia as well, right? So I, 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 I'm a family lawyer as well. And there is jurisdictional differences. And one of the things I did see out there is that a family law case can take significantly less time, right? Yeah. And I said, well, why is that? Because, you know, it does appear to people here, they're just dragging it out now and they're making money and every time they go back in there. More money. You know, they're charging again and the whole lot. But, like, the solicitor, the solicitor doesn't decide to go back in. You know what I mean? There, there has to be a reason. There has to be some kind of breakdown along the way for us to say, look, we're going to go back in and we're going to... It might be that the other side is being really belligerent or really difficult that they're not giving the information the court needs to move it on, you know? Um, so, really, but you just told me that it's the, pro- it's the fault of the clients then, not the solicitors. No, no, no. no. I want to say it's a combination of everything. We have a system that is, you know, it is old and there is certain steps you have to go through to actually get a hearing. But if you, you know, if everyone needs to pull together on it because a divorce or a separation or what, if there's a separate application before the court in that respect, that's not just one person. That could be three or four people. That's the solicitor and the client and maybe the psychologist or maybe the engineer or maybe somebody else, you know what I mean? So if, if, you're, if you, like I would say to people, when you're starting off in any court process, write down five or six things that you genuinely want. Okay. And halfway through the process, say, am I getting these? Negotiation by its very nature means you're not going to get everything that you're looking for in any event, right? But at least you can keep focus on what you're doing. And you can say to your solicitor, listen, what's going on like? Or the solicitor can say to you, listen, you need to get this information in, you know? So I think but it's, it's always the your- one area that worries me, you know, there's no fixed fee as such. Like, you know, you get a job done from anybody else, you kind of know in advance what it's going to cost you. You go into a solicitor's office and you could be sitting down there for three and a half minutes and somebody says, I had with a solicitor recently, I was in there three and a half minutes and it cost me 400 euro. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, uh, stick your finger in the yeah, air. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> I'm, do- I'm doing something wrong if people are getting away with I, I that. thought you'd say that, um, but this is what they said they paid, 400 euro for three and a half minutes. No. So what, we, what we're obliged to do now is um, you have to, under, under the law of regulations, is that when somebody comes in and they come in as a client, um, solicitors and barristers, the entire legal profession, have to issue what they call a section 150 letter, and that sets out your fees as expected, given the nature of what you've discussed in your preliminary consultation um, as to what it will be up to each certain point in the divorce of the judicial separation. And if things get worse, you, that you have to let the client know again, listen, this has got way more serious, we need way more reports or not. Or... Equally, the other side, if you know, if things are heading to consent, it's not going gotcha. to be any more than that. Yeah, you revisit so the fees. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, it's gotcha. set out there. Yeah, that, that part in the sky is gone. That's done. Okay, yeah. and, and so are you. Thank you so much for taking the call. Um, As always, Vicky, you. No appreciate I'll let you get on. No, much sure. obliged to you. Vicky Buckley, solicitor and barrister uh, on the mail. Text 0868 So pick this up if you've thoughts, comments, uh, if you have a story that you'd like to share but really don't want to put it down in text and wouldn't like your own personal details to be broadcast, you can always email me, neil at redfm.ie. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench, every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And you can text 086-8104-106. Now, just on a lighter note, I was talking earlier this morning about, um, you know, what makes a real friend, right? And I was reading out to, to you some of the, uh, the, well, they call it the top 20 traits of a mate. So let's call it the top 20 mate trait. 
mate's traits, if you like. The number one was supposedly to be a good listener and then a problem solver. You know what they say, that a problem shared is a problem halved. Uh, Another one, make each other laugh. Always tell the truth, you know, to your friend. Uh, Keep each other's secrets. Very important. Give an opinion. And I mention that in particular because that's along the lines of, yes, your bum really does look too big in that. Giving an honest, uh, giving honest advice on somebody's outfit. Of course, uh, a bad friend would be the person who tells them that it looks fantastic when it doesn't. I guess. Uh, other ones then would be uh, don't don't judge mistakes. Try to lift up your mate when they receive bad news. Be ready to offer tea and sympathy. Be willing to help with any situation, big or small. Um, I was mentioning the fact of uh, you know pick them up if they get stranded. That includes up to and including um, if they you know, get stranded at Dublin Airport, for instance. Drive up and get them. Motivate them. Uh, call them out when they aren't themselves. You know, say, sit them down and give them a good talking to. All of these kind of traits are the things that make a good friend, apparently. So I was thinking about that because every day we come up with a different uh, topic to give away our daily hamper. And we have a hamper again this morning for the food court at Douglas Court Shopping Centre. So each of those is worth €350. And it's filled with the very best of produce from Garden Goodness, Hassett's Bakery, the Good Fish Company and the Butcher's Block. And bear in mind, these are four family-owned businesses that you'll find in Douglas Court Shopping Centre's fabulous food court. So I want you to tell me about your best friend or what makes a best friend. I was kind of half motivated by this because we got a text in already from... And I love listeners who get in touch. I really and truly do. And point me in the right direction saying, you should try and get calls from people on their longest friendship and why the friendship has lasted so long and with who. Kieran says, I was born in Lloyd's Lane in 1971. Germany was born in the same lane in 1971. Our mothers put out the two prams into the lane and 51 years later, we're still best friends. That's a fabulous text. So I'd love some more like that. Text or calls on your best friend, your longest friendship, and what makes a great friend. And for the best call, text or email, uh, a 350 euro hamper for Douglas Food Court. A uh, lot of this food and produce would do very well on the barbecue. And perhaps even over the bank holiday weekend, which is ahead. So you can call 0818 Text. 86 and email. Keep an eye on the emails of the next hour and a half, lads. Email neil at redfm.ie. You just might win that 350 euro hamper. Over to you. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. Can understand a text that would say that a hospital in Cork and a care home in Cork are refusing to pay the carers and the nurses the 1,000 euro government bonus. I can't understand that. Uh, the texter says it's of no cost to them. It's an absolute disgrace. They even have the forms to fill out but refuse. This should be seriously brought to uh, people's attention. Well, I have done on the basis that I would have thought that the government bonus would come directly from the government or uh, into your bank account. But maybe the forms need to be filled in by the hospital. I don't know whether they're dawdling on that. Anybody else got any information on that one? Just one of those random texts. Appreciate it. If it's it's true, I'd love to follow up on it. Uh, Why would judges use Wikipedia when deciding on sentencing on or deciding on a court case? Well, uh, the reason that Wikipedia should never be used as an official reference, says Dennis, for information, is because Wikipedia can be created and edited by anybody. It can be used for general information on a topic, 
but you can't cite it as an accurate reference. When I was in university, one of my lecturers explained this by using an example of a radio station in another country that ran with a story with information garnered from Wikipedia. However, they had to retract it because the Wikipedia page was actually a fake news page, fabricated information created by college students for an academic project. Typical example. Well, absolutely, Wikipedia is um, actually, um, you know, edited and controlled by the public at large. You are right there. Um, and then a lot to do with travelling to and forth, whether it's in and out of Cork or in and out of Dublin. Chaos erupted, Neil, in Cabinet yesterday when it was revealed that flights to and from Cork Airport took off and arrived on time with all of the passengers and the baggage on board. The bags were retrieved without problems when the flights landed. The Minister for Transport has ordered an immediate inquiry and has warned that if this situation continues unabated, he'll have no hesitation in sending in the army. If they continue to get flights up and down in the sky and give all of their passengers their baggage at Cork Airport, they're not going to put up with it at cabinet level. (laughs) This is going completely against the grain, getting it right, as Cork Airport does. We travelled through UK to, I can never pronounce this place, R-E-U-S. Reus, 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 where is it? Is it in Spain? Spain, okay. Uh, For a few weeks. Uh, it was 550 euro return out of Cork. We paid 150 euro for four flights, Cork to Stansted, Stansted to Rias, Rias back to Manchester and then back to Cork. Um, uh, 550 return for uh, four of you? Pretty good. May wasn't the most direct way to go. Uh, on my uh, conversation yesterday with Gemma in a relationship of coercive control, that lady that was on air with Neil, I can relate to everything she says. I spent 20 years in a marriage. Eventually, I left. But for 13 years afterwards, he continued to control me through the court system. It eventually stopped in 2021 and I was so drained every day. I refused to show in court. It was all about control. There was control in the way that I was controlled financially. I was told that I was a nothing. He told me I would never get the kids as I was nothing and had nothing. He physically abused me to the extent I was hospitalized. I would advise anyone to get out at the start. Don't wait like I did for the kids to be older. Obviously, Neil, do not give out my personal details. Thank you for that. Text 0868104106. Now jump back into texts and emails across the morning. But I do want to give a shout out. I didn't get to do this yesterday uh, because I believe it, uh, um, it started yesterday. But I want to wish the very best to a fantastic summer camp, specifically for children living with disabilities. It's called Cool Ella. Uh, and you could have upwards, I'd say of, of, of over 50, maybe 60, maybe 70 kids turning up today for all sorts of fun and games Uh, and behind it is a bunch of volunteers and organisers like maybe up to 70 of them they're all coaches and they're all involved in the three days of the summer camp and Simon is one of them and he joins me by phone Simon good morning Morning Neil how are you? I just wanted to give you a shout out I wish it was yesterday morning as you were starting but so be it that's the way it goes but listen so it's everyone's descending upon Castle Lions is it? Yes, Castle Lines GA Club, Neil, yeah, that's where it's all happening. And it all kicks off again today at a quarter to 11. It's, I love it because it's kids with a wide range of disabilities, from Downs to ASD to cerebral palsy, spina bifida, Pitt Hopkins, uh, lots of different syndromes and many of the children in wheelchairs. Well done, yeah. everybody, well done. Yeah, we, yeah, we cater for, for uh, everyone, Neil. We never, we wouldn't turn any child away. 
we just, we just think that every child deserves a chance to be included and to have fun. You know, it's not specifically based around GAA. It's all just fun games and just kids just love coming here every Tuesday night. And the, this this camp has just attracted um, people from all over the county. Okay, so the weather isn't the weather isn't too bad, right? It's too, not too bad. It'll be okay. What will they be doing today? <laughs> the weather didn't uh, make an, a difference yesterday, Neil. I'll tell you that because <laughs> um, they all still turned up. Well, most of them did anyway. We had well over fifty kids yesterday out of over nearly sixty-five, so it wasn't bad at all. But we have a range of activities that we have: relay racing, we have um, beanbag throwing, we have basketball, we have soccer, we have archery, we have um, the guy who here with us, George, made a special platform especially for wheelchair wheelchair users. platform because they couldn't be doing the yeah. business on grass like I know it, it just it just gives them that bit of independence you know on that platform because it's hard to, mo- to maneuver on yeah, the grass yeah yeah but when yeah. they get onto this um, platform they can do basketball ring toss um, beanbag throwing and you know whatever they want like we've a lot of activities set up around it so we just especially catering for them especially as well you know yeah it's, we just make feel them so they can feel included, you know. So, you never yeah, mentioned um, the old tug of war. I'd say that would be quite competitive now, wouldn't it, Simon? We yeah, we do every Tuesday <laughs> night, and we can't actually go home out the gate unless there's a game of tug of war. <laughs> Makes um, sense to me. Yeah. It's great fun. <laughs> yeah, and I have this rope since the start, and it's a big, massive, thick cargo rope, and it's pulled out of the bag first thing on it every every Tuesday, and. They they would pull it for an hour. We could be doing tug of war for an hour if we wanted to. They just love it, love it. Would all of this have started uh, and continued then in in memory of Dean and Podrick? We all know friends of Dean and Podrick, the two local yeah. Castle Lions lads who had downs and loved their sport. They loved their gad, didn't they? they? They loved the sport, you know. And we just kind of we found it a, a, just a fitting tribute, you know, to two local lads here in Castle Lions who just love sports, loved everything about GA and. Just to name the group after them is, is, is special and the families love it and they're on board with us. And, they and it's wonderful in the memory of the two lads who passed away yeah. as well, isn't it? It, it is, really it is. is. And if, look, if they were here today, you could be guaranteed they'd be over here coaching and, and helping out and doing everything that they could, you know, and which is, which is great. Which is I think it's, it's great to have these activities back again, isn't it? Yeah. Because everything yeah, was on hold is. for so long, you know. And it, fair it play, is. I just want to also say fair play, 60, maybe 70 volunteers and coaches from all over the gaff, yeah? they're coming from all over just, just to help out you know and, um, you know a big shout out to our Castle members like and intermediate lads and Camogie girls they're local the juveniles they're, they're all pulling together all the parents and everyone is just helping out and it's great it's great it's absolutely great and there's like everything here we cater for the, the, the parents as well teas, coffees, sandwiches buns everything is there from all right, can't beat a cup of coffee and a bun. Yeah, well, yeah. No. <laughs> Listen, you're, you've got them descending on you in the next twenty minutes. We, so we have, we have, and we just we look. We, we thanks for putting us on because we just want to raise awareness, basically, of what we're doing. And you know, a lot of what we do really Neil, comes out of our own pocket, and we just want you know, just just raise awareness enough that people out there willing to help and get involved with us. Just please, you know, just just pick up the phone and give us a shout. You know, we 
anything at all is, is great. Any okay. support, you know. Well, a big um, shout out to you and all of the kids descending and the parents yeah. as well. You have two more terrific days down Castle yeah. Lions Way. Well done, Coach Simon. Thanks and for taking the call. And Neil, if, if anyone is available tomorrow, they want to come down because we're having the mother of all water fights here tomorrow. <laughs> and the pitch is just going to be like one big... Yeah, I mean, um, if you can play this out, a water fight ultimately will turn into a mud bath, won't it? <laughs> it will, but you know what? So be it, and the kids will go home smiling and laughing, and that's the main thing. Okay, okay, that's big water fight in Castle Lions tomorrow morning. Then all welcome. <laughs> <laughs> come down, come down. This will be great, back. I'd be washing my hair then, I'd say. But thanks all the same, Simon. Good luck. Take care. Best yeah, luck in the you. summer. Thank Good you. Luck. Bye, bye, bye. All the best. More by text on driving. I've seen this in Arklow County, Wicklow, on the round about on the Wexford Road, people drive from the Arkla side and take a shortcut the wrong way around the roundabout. Um, <laughs> that's not the first time I've heard of somebody going round the roundabout the wrong way. In reply to your question yesterday as to why do you, does Ukraine be, get brought into the cost of everything, including the cost of speeding tickets doubling in price? Yeah, reasonable question to ask. Why do you bring in Ukrainian refugees when you talk about beating fines doubling? The reason the Ukrainian issue was mentioned has to be spelled out to you, obviously. The government has put so much money into it, the coffers are suffering. Don't get me wrong, I don't have an issue with Ukrainians being brought to safety, but Ireland only has five million people. We cannot afford the numbers coming in. Uh, And then lots on Bus Connect and the issues regarding uh, the changes to our city and suburbs. Please stop trying to defend the idea that we don't need bus connect i've missed job interviews over the state of the buses in cork get over the loss of a thumb-sized segment of your gardens people the world has to move on buses are a joke and you don't know it neil because you drive Uh, one or two more there's never any traffic congestion on harborview road i use it every day if there is congestion it's 100 percent not around holly hill i can assure you also where's the evidence to show that the journey will be shortened Have they completed any traffic count? If so, produce the data. Well, they're saying that bus journeys could be um, shortened by anywhere, in some cases, 12 minutes faster, 15 minutes faster, in some cases, 25 and 30 minutes faster. Even if they go ahead with the bus highway in Knocknahini and you get down Cathedral Road, when you get down to John Buckley's, you're going to be stuck there anyway. Uh, One or two more, you should say well done to Brian Gould because only for him on air yesterday morning, we would all be paying our water charges. Yeah, Brian Gould is a good guy and he's entitled to his opinion on air because he always makes sense. Um, Your caller on the air said people complain about speeding, but the bus can go twice as fast. The Greens have destroyed our economy. Again, retrofit can only be done if you have cash and electric cars. And who can afford those? If the Greens, uh, I'd say the Greens are off the mark on bicycle use. In my opinion, the reason cycling isn't too popular is because of our Irish weather. And do they have a plan to flatten the hills on the north side before they want us all to get up on a bike? It's fairy liquid politics from the Green Party as usual. That's a selection of text to 0868104106. I didn't get, couldn't couldn't rejig things yesterday to get to Nemo Rangers to look at the plans. They're there until half two today, but I will get there at half twelve and I'll come back to it at that stage. Back to the phone lines we go. Kathy, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are okay, you? Okay, so is this a photograph of Callie, the uh, the guide dog that I have? Is it Ashling's dog? It is, it is. And you did the business? I did, yeah. So I was with Ashling on Monday morning, so Callie got her pamper then. And was she cool and calm about it? 
she well, she got a little bit crumbly now with the blow dryer, but you know that's not unusual. So we we just I moved her from bath and up onto the table, and she was absolutely fine then. She looks a million dollars. I just wanted to thank you for doing it. In fairness, uh, Ashling Kane's guide dog Callie. You did more than Callie, though. I believe did you? You 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 did. Uh, did you do the the cocker spaniel as well? I did the cocker spaniel as well. Yeah, Toby. So myself and Toby weren't the best of friends. He was a little bit nervous, <laughs> but we we got there in the end. He looked uh, he he looked a little bit better anyway when he was going back to. Do they ever snap back. at you, like Kathy? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Toby, you know, I had to pop a muzzle on because as soon as I turned the clippers on, he snapped at me. So I actually I had to get help popping his muzzle on him because he he just wouldn't let me do it. And um, you know, I, I I need to look after my myself and my hands, my fingers. And <laughs> you, so, you cherish <laughs> your fingers, like I, I do cherish my fingers. They're kind of they're kind of useful for you know me doing my job. Uh, what's that photograph? But, but you didn't do this. Did you do these in the back of a van? Yeah, so the way I work is my, my van is, it is, it's mobile. So it's my, the back of my van is completely converted. So when I pull up somewhere, all I need is enough space to park, obviously, and a power source. So I have a big, long cable. So, you know, a lot of people would have, you know, outdoor plugs or plugs in the shed or, you know, plugs along the side of the house. Or, you know, sometimes it's just a case of putting the lead in through the ladder box or it's in the window. Because the photograph I have, that's actually um, Callie in the back of the van, is it? Yeah, she's in the back of the van. So That's a, some I, serious kid. It looks like the inside of a vet. Yeah, like no, it's it's it looks. I have to say, it looks impressive, but I I still have a little bit biased then as well. No, it does. You should be very proud of it. Okay, so you are mobile grooming. Should anybody wish to uh, retain your services? I guess that's yeah, going. Absolutely. I guess that's going well for you, is it? It is. Thank God, I've been really lucky. I'm only in business since February, so I've been I've been really really busy since February, and even in the last couple of weeks, I've been up the walls. So it's it's fantastic. I'm, I'm absolutely delighted with how well how well the, the business is going. Well done. And listen, thank you for doing the business for us for Ashling's guide dog Kelly, and also for Toby uh, Greta's cocker spaniel. Um, you are doing just as a little bit of a shout out for you. Are you doing some sort of a special price for August? I am. So after doing Callie, I decided I was going to do uh, half price for service dogs for the month of August. So my birthday is in August and I was like, you know what, we do, you know, today some people do the, the fundraisers on their Facebook page. I was like, I'm going to do this. So, you know, guide dogs try to, uh, not just guide dogs, no service dogs, autism assistance. So it'd be a guide dog, so an autism dogs. friendly dog, any kind of a service dog, half price yeah. for the month of August half price for the month of August so you know people can get in contact with me um, on my, my Instagram it's fluffed up grooming or my Facebook page is fluffed up mobile dog grooming and my phone number is available on both good stuff well. okay so they'll um, find you on a so. search for fluff, fluffed up I guess fluffed up mobile dog grooming half price fluffed for service dog dogs in August I just want to say yeah. thank you for delivering and thank you for following up and I know that Ashling will be absolutely delighted and Callie will be delighted with the buzzer so thanks so much Cathy look after yourself no problem. Thanks for Cheers. Bye. Back after the break. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086 8104 Red FM. Got a query in there uh, whether or not Joe Mack is still doing the gigs in Canties. Well, I was talking to him on the phone only about three weeks ago, and he is still doing the gigs in Canties. If he is, Neil, what time is it at? Well, it's on Sundays. Now, the time, I'll have to double check, but Joe Mack is still doing the business and still gigging in Canties. It's either 4 o'clock to 6 or 6 o'clock to 8. I'm not sure of which but I bet you somebody listening to me will clarify which but to answer your question yes still in Canties 
gig on Sunday. And just one quick uh, warning. Neil, you need to pass this on. Make people aware of a scam going on in Skibbereen the last week. My husband was in the park and was approached by a man selling carving knives. The man was very charming, spoke about his struggles as a father and trying to make a living. My husband agreed to buy one of the sets, but he had no change out of a 50 euro note. Um, the man ended up giving him five sets of knives in total and never gave him any change. What am I supposed to do with five sets of carving knives? <laughs> I don't know what you're going to do with five sets. Keep one and give four as Christmas presents. Oh, well done. Problem solved. All right, so you got four Christmas presents sorted already. Listen to your show the other day on and indeed previous shows regarding antisocial behaviour in Cork and why people won't go into the city. I've been to numerous cities in Europe in the last 18 months and the difference between policing the cities and tourist areas in Ireland and say the likes of Germany, France and the Czech Republic is absolutely huge. I saw police asking people for ID in these countries. I saw police taking no rubbish or no cheek from anyone. One fella acted up and straight away he was into the back of the van. In Prague, I saw a minibus of police, approximately 12 big lads, all in gear, and a handgun on each of their belts, arrive at a local park to ensure that all was in order. In Prague, I saw them chatting to homeless people who were gathered in a park, doing no harm, and they had a nice relationship with them. You could see when the police arrived, people around the area respected them and maybe had a slight bit of fear, which is no harm. When people see the likes of these police with a weapon and or a dog, be it a German Shepherd or a Doberman, they'd be very slow to act up and cause trouble. In Ireland, we are so far behind these European cities. In so many ways, it is just heartbreaking. If I did not have young kids here in Ireland, I'd be gone and I'd be encouraging my kids to go to a country where you can walk down the street relatively without fear and not be screwed on taxes and the cost of living. Our country needs the Gardaí to have more permission to deal with antisocial behaviour. A few flakes from a baton would put manners on a lot of these hard men going around jumping people and stabbing them. Uh, Thanks, Neil, um, from a very worried Irish man for the present and future of our beautiful country. Our forefathers will be turning in their graves to see what we've become as a country. So thank you for that. So antisocial behaviour or acting the maggot or acting the eejit. There's not much we can say about this um, because I don't want to identify any of the people involved in it. But you shared with me, uh, thanks Kevin, just vaguely enough, you shared with me a video that was doing the rounds yesterday. Mm. I think we may have shared it and, and Cork Bio have shared it as well. Of a prearranged sparring bout on a beach in y'all, can you vaguely tell me what that's all about? Yeah, it's um, it's it's kind of uh, it's a it's a boxing match essentially, a bare knuckle boxing so match describe, between describe two what's youths. Going on. So they're be, they're on what looks like the promenade in y'all outside the main beach, a kind of a concrete strip of land. It's the the weather's grey. It looks very kind of Soviet nineteen forties uh, kind of look to it. But two lads in shorts with their tops off, scrapping each other, and it seems like adults, whether they're I don't know whether who they're knows parents, who they are, but they're adults, uh, but they're anyway. adults anyway, egging these two kids on 
to to have a scrap. Go on, and then get there's stuck a, in. Yeah, yeah, go for him. Yeah, the and then there's kind of the, there's grabbing, and then there's a kind of an argument about who grabbed two and whether that was all above board and whatever sort of rules they had involved in this. But yeah, I mean, it's it's just open daylight, middle of the day. You you can imagine going down, maybe not in a day like yesterday, but you can imagine on another day going down to the all. If you're a, a parent, you have a couple of small kids, and you wander across this a bare knuckle boxing match in the middle of the. You know, it's not a. It doesn't make you feel very safe when you're. And would on this a, have been around people say who would have been tourists or I, visitors? Well, look, or, there's always people, especially this time of year. I mean, we're in the end of July now. If there's ever a time okay. where there's people in y'all, I I know that. <laughs> however, many people are staying down in y'all with the amount of beds now, I don't know how many foreign visitors would be down there. But yeah. certainly, people take day trips down there. It's a very popular spot. It's a gorgeous beach. And was there blood spilt? I I didn't see any on the video, but uh, but look, whenever you see those bare knuckle boxing matches, you know it's always and we've we've seen photos recently shared to us of machete attacks, um, and like it's very. Can you imagine seeing somebody? Yeah, I know, I know. Kind of wandering no, just, down the street saying, that you yeah, cut not, open not a guard inside. Nobody called anybody and broke no, it up and all this stuff is being put online. I mean, even like we were talking a couple of weeks ago about people's cars being broken into up the north side, and we've seen there's a snap a Snapchat account of guys who are stealing these cars and then putting it up online on social media and joyriding them around the north side yeah. and then oh, yeah. burning them out and putting yeah. the whole thing yeah, up on social media in celebration of it. And so. in the case of these pre-arranged bouts, would there be betting on them, do you know? I wouldn't think for guys that age, mm. but certainly I know when it comes to I suppose the <laughs> if you want to call the it bigger in, and the bigger and the bigger characters le- level, yeah, yeah uh, bare knuckle boxing. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely betting going on, and it's all a lot of it's tied into to family feuds and and that kind of thing. There's did a you lot. check out the comments on it then afterwards? I I, I didn't. I know Seamus had kind of yeah. uh, had had sent a lot of this stuff in. He he tends to get uh, sent on a lot of this stuff the videos, um, yeah. videos, and, yeah. and that kind of stuff. But like there there is. I mean, there's a huge it was Pillmore Beach, Pillmore Beach, and y'all. Yeah. Yeah, Where's yeah. that? <laughs> Seamus would be more of an expert. I don't yeah, know if Claire's okay. next to me that knows, but um, but yeah, it's it's look, it's 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 just shocking to look at yeah, yeah. two youths or two young people being egged on by adults to puck the head off each other. Bare, bare, each and other. bare knuckle. It's not even like you know one thing about boxing with gloves on, and you know that that's one thing. But it's out in the middle of this. Well, I was going to say in the middle of a street, out in the middle of a beach, in the broad well, you'd daylight. Put, you'd put gloves on, wouldn't you? And you'd put on some sort of uh, yeah, head, head protector, and you'd gum shield. But this was just like you know, like like a one punch, one wrong punch, in the wrong place to the temple, correct. and yeah, you know, correct. it's game over. Okay, thanks for that. I uh, saw the video yesterday. I was wondering, my, will anyone break that up? Will guards be called? or anything like that. Anyway, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Back to some of the topics from across the week. Paul, good morning. Morning, Neil. Okay, we're back to uh, speed vans and cameras, right? So what have you got for me? Well, I'm in Cove, Neil, and uh, there's a camera van park there regularly on the Bishop's Road there, just at the Bellavista Hotel there. Now, it's right in the centre of town. Uh, there's a lot of parked cars there normally, so you'd be hard pressed to even get up to 40k there. And I just, like, I can't understand what it's doing there. It's actually, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's actually not very safe where it is. Well, the photographs I sent in to you there were off my dash cam. Uh, the road is particularly quiet that, that when I took those. But it's normally quiet. You're pulling in, you're pulling out to give way to oncoming traffic and vice versa. It's, it would be, I just don't. Look, I understand we have to obey people. Yeah, and, and do you know something? There's a lot of people saying that to me, that you shouldn't worry at all about speed vans, where they are or how many of them, if you're not breaking the speed limit. 
Yeah, well, the thing is, Neil, when you come into Cove on, in by the Cross River Ferry, just after that there, you get a 50k zone there coming in at Ballynoak. And when you come in on the other road, in by Aldi and Lidl, you get it there just by Lidl, you get a 50k. Now, to my knowledge, I'm not aware of any local speed limit that would be below that. And there's certainly no signage around to tell you if there is some local speed limit in force. So I, I'm just beginning to wonder, is there some kind of, because... Is there some kind of local bylaw that's after being passed? Because you should be advised of it. There has to be signage there. You can't obey a speed limit if you're not aware of it. But I thought you said it says 50k. 50 coming in at Ballynoe by the Cross River Ferry and 50 at Lidl. So it says I would be concerned the whole area inside in Cove after that is 50k. But you'd be hard-pressed to get up to even 40 on the Bishop's Road. It's such a kind of a congested and busy road. You'd yeah. be very hard. So is this kind of pointless putting a speed van there? Yeah, so. that's what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. look, I, look, I do my best to obey speed limits and that. Uh, you know, we all, we don't go out deliberately. Some people do, they don't give a damn and they drive over. And that's fine, I don't have an issue with that. But I'm just wondering what he's doing right in the middle of town here. We, and it literally is in the middle of town. Yeah, I wonder, is it, the, is it one of the new ones, do you think? It was never there before. No, it's one of the existing ones. I, I think this, I don't know about them getting actual new vans. I think they've, they've increased the number of locations where they'd be using them. No, they certainly got 61 new cameras across the country, bringing the total now to nearly 1,100. Some of them might be hard. Some of them might be fixed cameras, but some of them are bound to be vans. Yeah, but we we were told when these things were being introduced that they would be placed as uh, places where people had lost their lives and accident black spots. And, like, there's nobody being killed on the Bishop's Road in Cove, and I'm just wondering why it's there. It just seems to be pointless. It okay. really does. I, I was walking out by Rushville Tennis Sports about two weeks ago in the morning. And I dropped my car up to the mechanic and was walking home. And there was a guy who went down through that crossroads and he must have been doing 100k. Now, the likes of him, he deserves to be... But, he, but, but that him. camera, that van, the Gatso, is going to catch him. Yeah, but it's, it's never up there. It's on Lake Road. It's, it's down there by the Rushville Tennis Club. Yeah, but there's but a good chance that maniac will be driving that road at 70, 80, 100 kilometres at some Yeah, stage. you couldn't get on Bishop's Road. It's right in the centre of town. You'd be hard-pressed. As I Tell said, that to a maniac spot. driver. They'll still have a go. Yeah, it's an open road. You see, Lake Road is an open road. You can dr- It's a straight run right down. But that's a very busy crossroads there that he went through that junction. And I thought, oh my God, if someone came up there... or even So he went through up, a junction at 100... Yeah, he had he had the right away, but I mean, you're still inside the urban area. It's, it's 50 kilometres an hour, and even if there was no speed limit signs, you should be driving at a speed like if someone you're going through a junction. Okay, I so mean, here's a final question for you. Okay, he's going through a junction, in spite of the fact that either right away he was doing 100. What? what would you do to somebody who drives and is caught doing 100 kilometres in a 50 kilometre zone? Well, well, I mean, you you can be someone to court for that, and you for reckless driving or dangerous driving. Yeah. because that's really exciting. Uh, do you think what, what do you think should be a fair sentence for that or punishment? Well, I mean, the, I mean, I think he should have his license revoked for at least six months, if not twelve months, because that's total disregard for anybody. Okay, so six to twelve months off the road and a fine. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and you can. I mean, the law is there, but it's up to the police to go down and enforce it. But you never see them around. An odd time, you'd see them. An odd time. I very seldom see a policeman around. You have a massive guard station in Cove. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know what it's being used for because you never see them out out around. Never. An odd time. I think I saw a squad car here about a week ago. That's my first time seeing one in about a month. 
All right, my man. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it as always. Okay. Thank you, Paul. Text 0868104106 on the state of driving. Um, and again, back to uh, people trying to pass their driving test. I'm a driving instructor in Cork for 16 years. The pass rate has always been 50%. The issue, Neil, is that clients think they have nothing to do but the 12 lessons, arrange for, and arrive for a test and expect to pass. I can tell you 12 mandatory lessons you're supposed to have plus a sponsor who should do up to 12 hours experience between the lessons. 90% of my clients have no sponsor and don't do extra experience between the lessons. It's recommended that a client has 120 hours driving experience before they sit a driving test. That's the 12 hours of lessons is only 10% of that. And you can't teach experience. So you have to do a lot more than just 12 lessons. I have clients daily that think all they need is 12 stamps and the test. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. I can tell you we are very lucky with the testing staff in Cork. They're very friendly, professional, and unfortunately, it seems to be a lack of driving experience that the issue results in their failures. The Wilton Test Centre has one of the highest pass rates, though, in Ireland. I think it's third highest in the latest pass rates issued by the RSA. Basically, if you do a 40-minute test with less than nine faults, you pass. If you can't make less than nine faults over a 40-minute drive, you really should not be sharing the roads at all. Parents need to do a lot more than just buying 12 lessons for their kids. The pass rate then would be 95% if everyone had 120 hours driving experience and preparation is the key. Lack of experience is the main cause of test failure in my view. And that's from a professional driving instructor here on Leaside, who has nothing but good things to say about the Wilton Test Centre, its pass rate and its staff. Text 0868104106. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818104106. Red FM. Saw a young man last night grab and choke a young lad, uh, an 11-year-old, in his driveway um, over knock and run. I think I might have said a young man. It just says, I saw a man last night grab and choke a young lad of about 11 in his driveway over knock and run or runaway knock as we used to call it. Everyone as a kid has done it. I shouted at the man to take his hands off the child and he kept it going, telling the young lad he'd knock him out. You should never, ever lay a hand on a child. Instead, you should phone the law. So thank you for that text. Now, there is already this morning reams of texts and comments with regards to my conversations earlier uh, with Vicky Buckley and indeed Selena. We were talking about the, um, the court system, particularly in the case of separation, divorce or parents calling it a day, the effect and impact on the kids. And also we dealt with uh, parental alienation, where one parent turns the children against the other parents. So that was an interesting couple of conversations. Now, many of these have to remain as texts because a lot of people who've been in touch with me are actually going through the system themselves. And I would be prevented from talking to them live on air for fear of identifying them or the children. But I can deal with texts. Uh, text 0868104106. And here are some of them. This issue has a massive effect on kids. Parental alienation. I have it. I recently represented myself in family court. I had no bills and I was able to talk straight. So many men just get shafted. Uh, Selena is living in Cuckoo Land. I'm in the middle of a divorce and my ex has my kids destroyed. Um, 
Well, she's not actually. She's saying there may well be a better way. That's all she's saying. Solicitors and barristers are not out to win. They're out to make money. They do that by controlling clients and stringing out cases for as long as possible, says Pat. Mediation, another one. Mediation is great for people that are not vindictive or poisoned-minded. I am so mad listening to the show and the girl that thinks that mediation can sort it out. It can't. These people that are controlling have others in mediation brainwashed. Uh, Morning, there are other 30 designated mediators in Ireland who are hired by the state to provide six sessions per couple. And as a result of this mediation, separated couples can agree a formal contract of understanding. The big problem for men, though, is that every single one of those mediators is a woman. Men get unfairly treated as a result, says Morris. Can't come on right now as I'm in the middle of a divorce. However, I am experiencing everything that you are speaking about right now. Parental alienation, emotional abuse towards children. The judges have no idea... They have made some very bad mistakes over the years and now my children suffer because of the judge's inability to make the correct decision despite knowing the father is psychologically unstable as pointed out by psychologists. It's absolutely awful. And just another few for now. Just listening to your show on family law. A dwindling relationship is like a runaway train with no brakes. Sadly, there's a huge number of so-called marriages where couples have nothing between them. It's only for financial reasons and keeping the four by four outside in the driveway. It would never be for me. Five years on my own now, enjoying single life. And I'm glad for you. Another one. I'm delighted that the topic of parental alienation is being raised on the show this morning. The effect on children, parents and grandparents is devastating. More needs to be done to stop this form of coercive control. Um, and more needs to be done to stop this form of abuse, which is more common than we think in Ireland. Coercive control is a criminal offence in Ireland. And parental alienation is a form of coercive control. Children should not be used as pawns in family law cases and should be allowed to have a loving and caring relationship with both parents. Why a parent has to go to court to see their children when there has been no history of abuse should be a red flag to all concerned. Don't mention my name for fear of identifying my my children. No, I won't do that, but it is a very powerful point. Children are being used as pawns um, where one parent... Uh, poisons the minds of the children against the other. And a final one, in a marriage breakup where you have young children, what percentage of men get the family home even when the woman is the cause of the breakup? I can guarantee you it's very, very low. Men are abused also in a large number, in a larger number than most people can even begin to imagine. You see, men will not go forward because men are taught that they should not cry. Men are taught not to show or share their emotions. I've seen both sides of this conversation and it's horrible to look at what men and women do to each other. In a marriage breakup, the children should not be used like pawns in a game of chess. The solicitors and barristers love to have family law. They make their most money from it. In fact, that's a point. You should be asking more solicitors, Neil, how much do they charge for their services? They make a mint out of other people's miseries. So thank you for all of those. There are lots more besides. I'll dip back into them after 11 this morning. Keep the conversation going, though. Text 0868104106 or pick up the phone on 0818104106. Tim, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Now, um, thank you for the email. It's just better to chat because earlier in the week we were talking at length with regards to uh, particularly Ryanair. You wanted to pick up on that. 
Yeah, so Neil, I suppose just a couple of um, things I wanted to bring up that had happened there recently. Um, so yeah, so last week we'd booked flights and when you go on to the Ryanair website or the app to book flights, you know, we were given the different options of value and then regular fare, say. No, I don't know. Say. What's the? Di- I know priority and yeah. non-priority. Is it different to that? Um, so I'd say it's included in it. So I'd say value fare would be that you would be non-priority and you would only say carry on a small bag Thank you. which would be say like, say like a handbag and then say like a regular bag or sorry a regular fare where you would have priority queue and you would be able to put on a 10, 10 kg, kg carry on bag okay alright yeah. so what we did was we booked our flights and we booked regular for flying out and for flying home which would be the 10 kg bag and the priority queue so we were flying from Dublin so once the flights were booked we got our itinerary and it was saying regular fare for flying out, but our, it was showing the details of a value fare, which was just the small bag and no queue or no 10 kg bag. Okay. That doesn't make any sense to me. Anyway. Yeah, so it didn't make any sense to me either. So when I rang Ryanair, I was on the phone to them for over two hours trying to get through. First of all, when you ring, it said press nine to speak to somebody. When I pressed nine, it kept on hanging up, right? So then, that aside, anyway, got through after two hours. And once I got through to the um, person that I was speaking to on the phone, explained my situation that I had paid for and booked the regular flights, which was the 10kg and the priority queue. And when our itinerary came through, it said regular on it, but the details underneath were showing what you would get if it was a uh, value fare, yeah, which yeah, was just yeah. um, the carry-on bag. So he had said that the reason for that happening was that the overhead bins in the plane were full. So once I said, okay, right, well, that's not my problem. That's up to you. We've paid for it. So then he, I said, what is our options? And he said our option was that we would um, be able to put the bags in underneath the, the the hold so I said fine but he said we would have to pay for that so I said no I said should we have already paid for it and he went off to check and he came back and he said yeah that is correct so he added in the 10 kg bag for us so all that was fine so once we checked in then online before we took our flights our boarding passes came through that we were in a non-priority queue even though we'd paid for the priority queue that was fine got to the airport, there was no priority or non-priority queues. Everybody was just in one queue. So that was fine. Got on the plane. The plane didn't take off for three hours. We were supposed to leave at 25 to 3. The plane took off at half past 5. You're sitting on it for three hours? We weren't sitting on it. It kept getting delayed at the gate. We were sitting on it for just over an hour. Yeah. And where were you going? We were going to Lanzarote. Yeah. And I wonder why did that happen? Because the plane was probably not coming from Lanzarote to pick. It was probably coming somewhere else in Europe. And they, you know, they kind of, they, they pop the planes to all different destinations, don't they? That's right. Um, we think we were actually able to look on a flight radar app and we could see that it came from Edinburgh. Yeah, that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's where it comes from. So that was fine. So off we went after the three hours. Um, I was actually talking to the people next to me and brought up about what had happened to us with the booking. And they said that the same thing had happened to them. 
so just wondering is it happening to other people and um, I suppose when we got there then my bag had come off and my bag was all cracked and damaged at the bottom so took it over up to the Ryanair desk she filled out the form I had to submit a claim online and then badly damaged now enough for you to actually go and report it or a bit of wear and tear it wasn't wear and tear because I bought the bag the week before so it was cracked down by the wheel and say where the wheel was I would say that possibly if it was to be brought and carried across the tarmac yard a couple of times the wheel would come off alright so the bag pretty much written so, off it must have got a, it must have got some serious whack yeah well you would see they throw the bags onto trolleys over there the, 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 the handling crew You'd, I, I, I've seen them throwing the bags so I reported it I had to fill out a claim online and I suppose the claim was gone through when I had got gotten back an email from them when in no time basically you know that um, they were not in a position to do the claim because they're not responsible for uh, wear and tear during carriage. Oh no, but if it's dam- if it's clear damage to the bag, are they responsible? That is the email I got back off them. So, you know, I suppose I just I Fair, just wondering it's how fairly to shabby. It's fairly shabby all round, isn't it? It's fairly shabby on all round, and you know, I suppose. The main, like, the bag, I suppose, 40 euro bag, can buy another one, you know. Like, the flight's being delayed all around. It's still not acceptable. But, I think but let's say it was a four, like, some bags are multiples of that. There could be a couple of hundred. What if somebody's a brand new bag and that happens to it? Are you telling me that they, that the airlines aren't responsible? So who is responsible? Who is responsible? That is, that's the email. And why is the facility there to claim? They have a proper claim baggage form, whereas... When I submitted the claim, that's the email I get back. When it's clear damage, they can't be hiding behind general wear and tear. That's the response they give. That's the response they give. And Eli, I suppose the main thing that, you know, I suppose I'm wondering is, is it happening other people is about the flight, about booking the flight where you actually pay for, say, the second level up, but you're only being given the base the level below it but you actually pay okay. for a service but not getting it okay let me find out if other people have similar experiences thank you Tim appreciate you taking the call Thanks, text 0868104106 lads we'll pick it up after 11 I'm Lana O'Connor Red FM News is first for local national and international news and you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Prenderville Show With more opportunities to win some of our family passes to some fantastic tourist destinations right across the county and if you download the Explore Cork app you'll get all of the information it's like a one-stop shop tourism app 850 places to see and things to do so download that from the App Store today Explore Cork We'll have some more family passes to give away this side of midday but you know, I was chatting earlier on about the, um, you know, what makes a great friend, you know, the different um, categories or the characteristics of a good friend, being a good listener, being a, a good problem solver for a friend, making each other laugh, always being truthful, you know, keeping each other's secrets, not afraid to give an opinion if asked for, telling the truth, not judging mistakes, lift them up when they're down or get a bit of bad news, be ready to offer tea and sympathy, help in any situation, things like that, you know, if... 
they ask you, one of the ones that the tabloids love is that if they ask you um, for an honest response to a piece of clothing that they're wearing, that you should really be honest and say, yeah, your bum really does look too big in that. But I was asking you about your own friends, particularly a friend that you've had for life. What makes a good friend and what to you makes good friendship? So text on that. Keep texting or emailing. Text 0868104106. Email neil at redfm.ie. And the best one we have this morning, between now and midday, wins a 350 euro hamper chock full of goodies from the Douglas Food Court to Douglas Court Shopping Centre and that is 350 worth of beautiful food from Garden Goodness the Good Fish Company the Butcher's Block and Hassett's Bakery so everything's covered in that regard so keep those texts coming text 0868 104 106 but if you don't mind I see a big response to this morning we were dealing with issues involving parental alienation where one parent maybe a uh, poisons are um, you know, psychologically controls the children against the other parent. Please don't give them my details. I know you recently covered this topic of parental alienation, but I, and I wanted to thank you for highlighting this. I have somebody met, currently going through this, and it's an absolute heartbreak to watch a good father fighting with everything he has to be in his children's lives. You know, grandparents, cousins, aunts, uncles, and everyone associated uh, with my family no longer have a relationship with his children. The children themselves will walk past everyone they once loved very much, poisoned now against each other. The mother constantly says she does want, does everything. The mother constantly says she does everything for her children, protects them no matter what. But I wonder how can a mother call herself a good one when she has robbed her children of a father they once adored? Surely a good mother uh, that has the best interests of her children would encourage and promote having their father in their lives too. So many children lose out on a great father because their mother has trained them to feel the same way as she does all in order to hurt the father. Not for a moment do these women ever seem to think of the damage being done to their children. Every child deserves and needs their father when they are a good dad and father. These women then post pictures on social media saying how they're single parents and doing everything alone while behind the scenes there's a dad fighting in court to be with his children. They praise themselves as the best, as the best mothers, while in fact, if they were, they'd realise how important it is for their children to be raised in an environment where hatred is not being taught. My one wish is that women and men that partake in parental alienation would be seen for what they really are. I hope their young children that are poisoned will recognise one day that the parent that made them hate the other parent was emotionally abusing and manipulating their young minds at the time. I want people to take a good look at any of their friends who are parenting on their own that constantly badmouth their ex, say they don't pay maintenance, even when they are, that make claims of abuse, that will say their father is stressing out his children. There's a list of symptoms, you see, of parental alienation. And the woman I know takes nearly all of them boxes. They are usually the ones on social media blowing about how they do everything for their children. When in fact, they often, they're often on rent allowance, claiming social welfare and refuse to work. These parents, but statistically women, should not be allowed away with the abuse of their children. I want parents who are going through this to not ever give up. Fight in court as long as you have to. Apply for a section 47 so that the voices of your children will be heard and they will be assessed to see what's going on in their home. 
but do not give up. So many dads are left with no choice but to give up fighting in the end. That's what these mothers want, so that they can say, told you, he's a deadbeat dad. Told you, he doesn't want his children. Often these women claim to their friends that their ex was also having affairs when he wasn't. These women are pathological liars to their friends, families and their children. They stop at nothing in order to make everything she can hate, I'm sorry, everyone she can hate her ex as much as she hates him. To anyone out there listening to their friends constantly talking about their ex in a bad way, please look up parental alienation and see the symptoms. Then maybe do some research and find out if this man really is such a bad person. Or are you just sucked in by the lies you're being told, the same as her children? These women are manipulative and hate their exes. To anyone going through this, please do not give up. That's what they want. Persist constantly with it. Do not give them a moment's rest. Let your children know in any way you can that you love them and will always be there. Write letters, send cards when you're blocked from every phone. Register them, the letters, so you've proof that they were sent. But please do not give up. Me and my family intend to shower the children with love no matter what is fired our way. One day they will see their mother for what she is. Maybe one day she will be the one without her children when they're older and wiser and realize that their dad was never ever a bad person. Finally, to all the dads going through this horrendous situation, keep on trying. One day they will see how hard you fought for them and see their mother for the liar that she is. Sorry for the essay. Thank you so much again for highlighting this topic on your show. I'd love if you read my letter and hopefully inspire women and men to keep going that might have lost their children because of the other parents' hatred. It's a lengthy email. An emotional email covers a lot of ground. What do you make of it? Text 0868 Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. Okay, friendship stories then in a few minutes' time. Just staying with current topics. Um, can I just chat, if you don't mind, for a little while to Tony? Because I know we spoke in the past and I want to just catch up with him. Tony, good morning. Morning. So, so here we are, going back in the day when you were trying to set up an airline in Cork. Pat Dawson was on the air yesterday. And, of course, sadly, you failed. And we were outlining on yesterday's program, 85% of flights in and out of this country go in and out of Dublin Airport. 85. Could you imagine if there was more balance? Yes, certainly. And the reasons why they keep 85% in Dublin must have to do with protecting Dublin, making more money up there, right? Even to access Dublin through the N50 at times, I've been up there recently. Even trying to get in... Get into the airport and get off the M50 and come back onto the M50 to come back down south. Yeah, or down, or down to the south east. Yeah, it's an it's a head wreck, isn't it? And and on, and on top of that, of course, you're leaving the the car above there for a week or ten days or whatever, aren't you? And that could yes, be fifteen euro a day. That's why it's the second most expensive in Europe at the moment to yeah. park a car in Dublin yeah. airport. So he's saying, and the ITWA are saying, share the love a bit more, give Cork more flights. I can't understand the management of Cork Airport, how it was allowed to happen in the way that it was allowed to happen. Kevin Colena, that's moving to Dublin. I think we have a new manager in Cork Airport. I cannot understand why. I can't understand why. My son is with Emerald Air. He's based in Belfast. Why Emerald Air on covering routes or the Cork? What do they do? Are they a smaller airline or something? They are, they are Aer Lingus Regional. Right. I thought that but was Stobart, no? no? Is that gone? Yeah. Just stop at a gun and then Bradley came in. 
guy called Conor McCaffrey, he's an ex-Yerling employee, he came in and started this company right. last year. Yeah. yeah. Now, they have no plane based in Cork. They were covering the likes of uh, Manchester, Birmingham, Aberdeen, Glasgow, South Key, Southampton. But what do people in Cork want? Do they want more connections with capital cities or do they want more sun destinations? My reading of it need is they want connectivity to the capital city in the country in Belfast and it's not there at the moment. If you could get on an aeroplane in the morning in Cork, put on your bag in Cork and if you're going on a transatlantic or you're going further afield Australia that you can put on your bag in Cork and get your bag in Australia after getting your connecting flight in Dublin is what people want. Is but why did the Cork-Dublin flight end? Do you know? I do. Ryanair. Air Ireland, Port of Canada was running Air Ireland at the time. Air Lingus were on the route and Ryanair and Ryanair came in and cut the price to a fiver each way which was unsustainable. Fiver Cork Dublin each way. Yes. And when Air Ireland went they bellied up and Stoper took over, took over. Air Lingus pulled out and when Ryanair had a route destroyed then they pulled out. Then they closed the Cork Dublin route. Yeah, we statistics that there was... Why? Like, I mean, were there people... Go on, what were the... What, who was travelling Cork, Dublin at the time? Business people, people shopping, people going on weekends. Okay. could have given me for a reasonable a reasonable price rather than drive. Okay, how many people annually at the peak were, were flying Cork, Dublin? Two and a half million, we have statistics. In 2008, when it ceased, it was around 2.8 million and it went down to about 600,000 in the end of 2008. Why? Rainier and the price. The price started to go no, up, is it? No, they started reducing the number of flights when Erlingus pulled out and then they eventually whittled it out. So at its peak, there were two and a half million people annually that's taking right. the Cork-Dublin return flight route. That's right. Because if I remember when that went, one of the reasons given, correct me if I'm wrong, was that people found Dublin Airport too far from Dublin City. Well, the excuse given at the time was a way the motorway. And the PSO was taken off with Aer Lingus. PSO is a public services obligation levy, which would give Aer Lingus a certain amount of money per seat. So you're saying that if there was a Dublin Cork return, Cork Dublin return, anywhere between one and a half and two and a half people, million people would fly it annually. Well, our statistics said we'd probably have in the year one we'd probably have 1.2 million. In year one, we we carried out studies in in the train station and on Patrick's Key with the buses and with the train. And we asked people if they had a preference. No, the price was very important. We were capping the price at €100 Euros return initially. Why couldn't you get the licence again then, Tony? I mean, you, you had the plane sourced. We, we have, I think we, your, son's a bit, your son's a pilot, isn't he? We couldn't get a slot to land in Dublin. We weren't allowed to land in Dublin at the time, at a, at a, at a, at a suitable time. The first plane would have to go up in the morning at half past five out of Cork for the transatlantic connections to... America. And you couldn't get a slot to land at no, quarter we past half past six or something? We were promised slots and when, when we were more, at a more advanced age we were told the slots were all have to be allocated as well. Our, our, like, our, our, our initial proposal was to run between Cork and Dublin five return flights per day and one up to Belfast and back down to Cork and one up to Belfast in the evening and back down. We met the people in Belfast and they, were, they had to pull out the red carpet for the inaugural flight. Dublin didn't want to know. Belfast did. Know, uh, oh yes, and uh, what, like the, the difference in what they were offering in Belfast in comparison to Dublin. Initially, was Belfast was far more superior. Okay, so well, without the Dublin link, it collapsed, did it? 
that we met Pascal Dunn, who, who at the time was the Minister for Transport. And it was ironic because it was actually the day he sold the Erlingus to the IAG group, and he didn't want to know. No, he did. He gave us information, but he never contacted us. Then I met Shane Ross, who was the next Minister for Transport. And the first thing he said, when did it stop? The cop to Dublin. And he was the Minister for Transport. He didn't even know. He was the biggest in my life because when he was in opposition, he was shouting for a flight between Cork and Dublin. And when we met him, I met him personally to two different occasions. The first question he said, when did it stop? And the second thing he said to me, we have a motorway between Cork and Dublin and you are very lucky to have a motorway and why would you want polluting the sky with an aeroplane between Cork and Dublin? But it's better to pollute the roads with thousands of cars, is it, than one aeroplane? And spend two and a half or three hours in a car each way. He told me you can do Dublin in two hours and 20 minutes in a car. And I said, I'll bring you, Minister, in my car and make sure you can meet us. At peak times, at two hours and 20 minutes. You wouldn't get to Dublin Airport at peak times in two hours and 20 minutes. You wouldn't get to the NACE... To the to the Red Cow Roundabout in two hours. Yeah, you see, these people are living above in Dublin in their, in their capital city. And even our own Taoiseach. I'm very disappointed with Michael Martin and Mike McGrath. I met Michael Martin in relation to getting the service up and running. And he promised me he'd get, he'd, he'd get it more advanced. And I, I, when we were declining the slots in Dublin, I went to Michael Martin in the minimum clinic outside in Ballyfehan. And I'm very disappointed. He's now the Taoiseach. And he's done nothing for Cork. Absolutely nothing for Cork. Yeah, but when did you last raise the issue of a Cork-Dublin return with him? Did you ever before do it as, the, t- did you ever do it as Taoiseach? No. Because, I'll be honest, Neil, some of the investors are gone. We had very big investors involved in this. We were at a very advanced stage. But the fact that we the pinnacle was Cork to Dublin. And the fact that we were not allowed okay, okay. to land in Dublin. People don't and do you believe them when they told you that they couldn't get you a, um, that they didn't have an available slot? No, no, somebody got to somebody. But you, can't, pro- but you can't prove that, you see. No, we can prove nothing. Yeah. Because the slots are allocated from Heathrow Airport all over European airspace. It's it's a crowd called Airline Coordination Group in Heathrow. Allocated slots. And when we contacted that particular group of people, we were given five different we, our flight was open half past five in the morning and we were given times at 20 to 6 yeah. by 40 we could land the first plane yeah. and when we went back to confirm the slots were there the person we had spoken to in relation to getting the slots had left the company we were, we were told and we were told rally our politicians in Ireland so you got nobbled yes yeah and is it is it, we, is it parked we, for now or is it parked forever well, if anybody is interested in setting it up, I'm certainly available with statistics and figures. I would they the still be as valid, those statistics, on, say, 10 or 15 years ago? Have people... I'd, say they'd be, I'd say they'd be more valuable at the moment. Why would I want to fly Cork, Dublin, then? Sell it to me. Give me a typical example of why I might. You, if you're going travelling, if you're getting connecting flights in Dublin, a connecting flight, you put on your bag in Cork, you, you disembark a plane in Dublin, you don't retrieve your bag. You get on your next flight and you get your bag at your destination. When you come back from your holiday, wherever you're going in the world, Australia, wherever, you get your bag back in Cork. Once you put your bag on at your airport of departure after your holiday or your break, you get your bag back in Cork. You don't have to get on a bus or get to retrieve your car in, Cork, in Dublin Airport to drive to journey two and a half or three hours back to Cork. I know, yeah, you have me sold on that, absolutely, yeah. Right now, if it's transatlantic, I tend to try and go to Shannon. Yeah, yeah. We had a great team behind us at the time. I won't name them now. 
that, that were very experienced people. Now, what was the return and cost and what would it be, say, in today's money? Around 120 or 130 euros at home. Baggage or so extra? No, the bag would be free. The bag, one bag would have been included. But maybe when you put down your time, okay. you can't put a price on your time. You go down to get the bus. You must be dropped to the bus. You must put your bag into the bus. The driver will not help you with your bag. When you get off on Dublin Airport, you must drag your bag through the terminal and check your bag in again. You know, it has, Cork is an awful lot going for Cork Airport. Cork Airport is never, never busy. There's never big queues that you're queued outside the door. Mm. Mm. Trying to drag your bag from outside the terminal in Dublin. Trying to drag it in. And watch your bag. Watch your bag. I ever watch it. Because there's a lot of pilfering going on in the terminals in Dublin Airport, pickpockets, so on and so forth. Is there, though? Yes. Just people it's hanging around there, there, having no interest in boarding flights just to rob people? Yes. Well, it's, it's an all it's an all big airport in the world, as you're aware. Yeah, yeah. No, and it's it's just, have, just haven't spoken to anybody on the air who had a wallet pinched in Dublin Airport, you know. It's not saying that it didn't happen, but, you know, you hear about it on trains and tubes and subways overseas. Last week, it's somebody was robbed on a... I think it was the, the the metro in Paris. I think, if I remember correctly, you know that yes, kind of thing. Really, it's happening all over the big, uh, big, the big capital cities. The big airports is happening. Well, like when I heard this gentleman this morning in relation, you're to actually right board. because a lot of the time you can see how it could potentially happen. We tend to dawdle around with our bags and walk away from yes. them from time to time. Okay. Somebody, no. somebody, just walk off with your bag. That's that's. But like, if you could put your bag in in Cork Airport and retrieve your bag at your place of destination, regardless of how many connections you you have to conduct. It's Cork Airport. It's a lovely airport. It's a very friendly airport. It's not being used to lights at all its capacity or near it. And unless Emrylea will come into Cork, which I hope they will come in next year, and take right. some of the load away, go back on, especially on the Erling's regional routes. It's so, so important that we have connectivity with England on and a regular basis. It's not three or four I know, well, Okay, okay, I got it. How, how do you feel? Do you feel bitter about it all? I do, genuinely do. I give this thing uh, I, I, my time. I couldn't put a price in my time, the amount of... You had the money, you had the backers, you had the plane, you had the plan, you had the research showing the footfall or the flight fall, if you like, one of a better term. You even had the pilots. We had everything in place. Yeah, all right. Okay. And we were refused, but uh, we were few slots in Dublin. And right up and to me, all Martin said he'd sorted or he'd least, at least he'd he, attempt... He, he makes representation on our behalf. I'm very disappointed with Michael, Michael Martin, Simon Courtney, and Michael McGrath is a huge disappointment. Why is he a, is he a bigger disappointment than the other two, or equally three of them the same kind of disappointment? Well, I, I think Michael McGrath could have done a bit more. Okay, I, I guarantee you next time I'm talking to any of the above, I will mention it to them again and see what kind of a response they give me as to what happened like, with that. Like my, 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 reading right. my reading of Cock Airport at the moment is it's not being used. I utilise near its capacity. Cost, we still have a huge different Cock Airport. Yeah, you're breaking and up. Cock Airport is under the DAA, I don't think it can expand Okay, okay. Line going on me there, Tony. Your final point was as no. long as the DAA controls Cork Airport, it will be muzzled and kept from flourishing I or thriving. Yeah.
Yeah. That's okay. my honest point. And there was room for Cork to Dublin to come back. There was definitely room for to, for a connectivity between Cork and the capital city in Ireland. All right. Okay. Stay in touch. And thanks again. Okay, Tony. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Straight to the point and from the heart. That's the way I love it. Text 0868. 104106. Pick up the phone on 0818 He's waiting an age. I want to get him on the air. The great Cork cobbler, uh, Martin. Martin Duggan. Is you? Is yourself Martin Duggan, yeah? It is, uh, Neil. How are you? There you are, um, and you're above on Shannon Street. How's it going? It's going very well. It's going very well. Very well. Very um, well. Just one thing. I know you wanted to talk about something else, but I read the sad story of Curran's shoe repairs on Bagger Street. Do you know that uh, story? Someone was telling Someone was saying it to me. I was on the radio yesterday. I didn't. I wasn't listening to it. But someone sent me on a link. Yeah. Well, um, Curran's Shoe Repairs off Bowger Street yeah. opened in 1937. It's been run by generations of the family. And the son recently said that he's had to close it. It's been open for 80 years. I think he was saying in one part of it that uh, I don't know how long it was, but I think it was something in the region of was it a week or 10 days? Hang on a second. The exact figure he says in the middle of lockdown, I stood here for 16 working days and didn't speak to one single customer, he says. He also said the rise in smart, casual attire for many workplaces is another factor in his closure. Um, sad when you hear of a cobbler's closing, isn't it? It is. It's, 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 it's sad, you know, because this and, you know, even here in Corkamunster, there's nobody taking up the job, you know. There's no new cobblers coming on board. Um, even some of my suppliers would tell you, you know, they, they're... Um, their their customers have gone down by fifty percent, so it is um, it, it is it is sad. So it he, is sad he's see, never yeah. recovered. But how is it going with you? I mean, are you still cobbling and repairing shoes, or do people even get them repaired anymore? They do, and I, I'm I'm quite busy. I have to say, no, I have to say. January and February were a depressing time. You know, I really was wondering. I was really beginning to doubt. Even all through the lockdown, I was, I was close to the nine weeks at, you know, at the very start. And when I came back, I was tipping away. I was happy enough. But I was kind of busy coming up to Christmas then, and then just with all the doom and gloom, if you can remember going back to January and February, I honestly thought that this is, when is this ever going to pick up? And just around March, it did. And People are, are, you're asking, are people getting shoes repaired? Yes, I had time to think about doing things slightly differently. You know, it gives you a chance to breathe and, you know, I recondition the shoes a more now and everything. And um, so far, it's good. So okay, I'm so that would, be, that would be soles and heels, right? And, and a polish and a clean and getting rid of scuffs. But is there a particular age group that would still be getting them? Because I, I, I can't hand in heart ever think of my son or daughter going to a cobbler's. They mm-hmm. just buy other shoes or runners. Yeah, that, that's very true, Neil, right? But the, the way you'd say it is, right, there's less people getting shoes repaired, but there's also less cobblers. You know? So, yeah. And you, you'll always have the person who will have a good quality pair of shoes and they want to get them repaired. And again, maybe, you know, we're all talking about the lockdown, the way people started thinking about you know, buying good quality clothes. And I think it's the same with shoes now. They're, they're looking, because they're into me you now about renovating them and looking after them and getting good good quality shoes. And funny enough, uh, uh, things that can happen as well now because of the internet, people buying shoes online. And then they say, oh, the strap is, 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 is too loose or it's too, you know, because yeah. adjust this and adjust that. Yeah. And a lot of sandals, like in the summer, you get a lot of sandals and stuff. You know, that people want to feel comfortable in and they want to wear them. So, um, you, Well, I'm kind of glad to hear all of that because in the world that we mm. live in now, 
People are less inclined to get anything repaired. You look at a television or any kind of household item, it could be a fridge or a freezer or a TV, they just recycle them and get a new one. Yeah, I was just, actually we were doing a bit of dumping there uh, this week and we were looking and I was sorry to see the amount of televisions we got rid of, but it was for four or five of them, but they were all analogue, you know, because of the fact that, you know, they don't take digital, you can't, uh, they, they can't um, take on digital. Yeah, yeah. So they're all, they were all, brand new television working perfectly but no good you know so from that point of view it was um it was, it was a pity, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm glad things are continuing. Because I know a lot of cobblers also do key cutting, right? You do that as well, well don't I, you? I, I, I do the key cutting as well, yeah. And I have to say that, you know, it's probably it's probably about 25% of the um, the business now, you know? Oh, where did you serve and, your uh, time then? Well, my father was a cobbler. So, and I suppose that's the reason a lot of cobblers don't open. There's a... There, uh, there's not people coming into the cobbling business because it, it, there's no particular apprenticeship to it. You know, if you want to become an electrician or a carpenter or a plumber, you can do it. If you want to become a cobbler, it's you know you just it's generally handed over for. And was his was your father be, was his father before him a cobbler? No, but funnily enough, my cousin has been doing Ancestry.ie type thing there a couple of years ago, right? And he discovered that my great-grandfather was a cobbler. <laughs> just skipped a generation, <laughs> did it? <laughs> skipped, a ge- skipped a generation. The grandfather was the first one. Maybe before. the one in the middle <laughs> was a farrier, but she was on horses, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he, he went from... Um, he went from one to the other. He, he, he skipped, as they say, he skipped the generation. But was it yeah, the same so. shop that your dad had as the one you're in on Shandon Street? Mm-hmm. Well, we started, um, funny enough, right in 1961. And our very first shop was um, where Stacey and Shannon Flowers is now. Oh, That's our right. very, that, yeah. that was our very first shop. And I was there when she moved in there. I remember... They, you know, I, I don't know if you remember the shop. You, go, you know, there's kind of a little gate there and there's a side alley, right? Right. When my father had the shop, you could lift up a kind of a window and I would go out as a little boy and I used to be playing football, kicking the ball up and down that little alley, you know, so it had memories for me. Then we only rented that and then the shop where DC's pharmacy is now just kind of a little bit across the road. They, he wanted to develop his when my mother and father died. The big shop was very big, didn't really, didn't really need it. So... Um, I didn't really want it at that stage. You're losing so, customers uh, there chatting to me, so you moved to the smaller <laughs> one. <laughs> so, we, yeah, so I moved uh, I moved to the smaller shop then, which is all I needed. So uh, I'm here 20 years. I always suppose, to be honest, I always thought as if the other shop was my father's shop, you know, that yeah. I learned from him and yeah. his trade. He was, you know, the Boston, obviously. And then I always felt this shop here now where I'm now is actually my shop. But are you, you using know? his equipment? Some, yeah, some. Um, there's a few things that I have belong to him. Some things uh, had me actually. There was one thing, and I don't know why, but he had a hammer, you know, and he used a hammer. And he was after getting it from someone else, actually, and it was years old, but it broke, and it broke my heart that the hammer broke. I had to buy a new hammer. I don't uh, know why. I, I, I don't know why it's such an attack. Yeah, it was to sentimental hammer. to you. Like, that's the reason yeah, why. Yeah, it was a hammer, but I do have some stuff that he had, but other things I had to get change. Have you forward. anyone to hand it on to the cobblers? Uh, no. Um, they're not, my son never really had an interest. He has his own 
personal training trainer and he's a physical therapist out in Blarney. Gotcha. Yeah. So he, he uh, and then my daughter had more interest than my son, but she was still be there serving the customers and answering the phone and doing all that type of stuff. But she's has a degree now and she's doing her PhD in chemistry. So she, that's, the, that's the two kids I have. So, so um, does that sadden you? Would, you, would it sell as a going concern or does it sadden you? I don't know, you know what I mean? It's a way to make a living. And one way I know it's great to hand down from one to the other. You know, the same as yourself, Neil. You know, you have a son and daughter. Like, I don't think it would break your heart if they didn't follow you in two. You know, Absolutely, your, um, you're right, as you my know, profession you know, doesn't have to be theirs. I, I, yeah, it yeah. doesn't have to. Like, like, you know, I guess I used to be interested in physical fitness before in training when I was younger. So from that point of view, you know, my son, has kind of taken, has got some of my, got a lick off me anyway. Yeah, you know? I know. It's just, so, you know, there was research out there saying that, you know, the smells that we love most, apparently bacon sizzling on a frying pan was voted number one Irish smell and then baked mm-hmm. bread and freshly ground coffee mm-hmm. and roast beef and stuff like that. But in the list, there was nothing about the smell of shoe polish or the smell of new leather, new shoes, because of beautiful smells. <laughs> well, it is actually the, the smell of leather is lovely, but quite a lot of the time, if people come in to me to say that I love the smell of leather, it's probably the glue that smells. Because there's more glue, there's more of a smell of the glue than the leather. No, I thought it was tiny so nails and stitches you used. <laughs> <laughs> the glue as well and I'd say if you were sniffing that too much you <laughs> well mind yourself in that regard anyway sorry for the trip down memory lane I, wa- I know you wanted to talk about damaged damaged leather bags on airplanes but I thought that yeah. other conversation was equally as interesting yeah, was very, uh, thanks very much for that it was great to kind of think back and where I am uh, yeah it's just it just reminded me when uh, your caller was talking about his bag was damaged on an airline and he wasn't getting a refund. But it just brought back memories again. Like many years ago, certain customers would come in every so often and they'd say, you know, come here, um, I was just on a flight and my bag was damaged and they'd have the bag and they said, I went up about it and they said, look, could you go to a cobbler, get a letter saying that, in my opinion, this bag is beyond repair and then they would be compensated. Yeah. But it's a long, long time since I wrote a letter like that and the reason is, they just don't um, they don't compensate anymore people were telling me and people have brought bags into me you know designer bags now Louis Vuitton and things that and they've been really badly damaged now it hasn't been just a little scuff or anything and you know particularly as your caller was saying you know about when the wheels are damaged well you God only knows uh, when you, when the bag leaves your side and it's going yeah, through yeah, whatever it is We've all seen baggage handlers, you know, they're not the most gentle people in the world. Yeah, well, the so, message uh, I get out of all of this is don't have expensive luggage. I would think so, I would think so too, yeah. And uh, what I would always say as well is I'd always put you in, it's handy to identify the bag too. Do you know the little belt things you can have that go around the bag? Do you know, they're they're kind of like they marry two or three different colours and they go, they, yeah. they go around, they're like a belt. That's... And even, you know, the, the cellophane that some people's put on it. They do. They no wrap them up like a cocoon. It's no harm to do that because if the bag bursts, at least you, you, you keep your stuff. But anyway, to get back to the point, I would write the letter and off they'd go and a week or two later they'd say, oh, thanks, Martin, I got my compensation. But it has been alluded to me now that they don't do... It's obviously a policy now with airlines. They just don't want to pay out, yeah. They'll come they up with every reason not to pay out. Well, they just say no and they, they kind of say like, brazen it out to the customer, to the passenger, and say, well, what are you going to do about it? And um, now, 
You know, I, I just I wonder, I don't know, maybe you could go to the small claims course or, or something about it because, you know, they are responsible. They did break your bag, you know. So they, you should, I guess you should be entitled to compensation. I, I believe the compensation is still in the terms and conditions, so I don't know why they don't honour it. But um, listen, yeah. words of advice from Cork's greatest cobbler. Listen, great to chat, Martin. Hopefully, right. I, hopefully I'll see you soon for another cup of coffee or something. Hopefully, love that, Neil. All right, pal. We might go, yeah. might go over to the Homer or something, or into the old Reliable or something. What do you think? Or yeah, Eugene's? I love, I love that. I love that. And don't forget the Friary. That's the fourth pub on the street. I didn't here. know that one, so there's four of them we need to visit. All right, Martin, take care. Cheers, okay. take care. Bye bye. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818-104-106. Okay, remember, we want your friendship stories, your stories of friendship. I was telling you the different reasons why you'd make a very good friend, and there's like a top 20 of them, and I'd love to hear your best friendship stories. Who is it and why, and what makes a great friend? So text on that. I think at this stage you're going to be picking up on this again uh, tomorrow because time is rapidly running away from you. But tomorrow's a good day, so we'll, uh, we'll dig into some calls today and again in the morning. We have 350 euro vouchers to give away for all sorts of beautiful food from Douglas Court Food uh, Centre at Douglas Court Shopping Centre. But right now, if you don't mind, I want to look at uh, our family passes for other tourist attractions all over the county. It's your opportunity to take yourself and the kids away for the day. And we've been giving away loads of different passes, family passes to lots of Cork tourist attractions. This morning, I would like to focus in on uh, another uh, somewhere that I actually haven't been myself yet and that's the Lifetime Lab at the Old Cork Waterworks, Victor Victorian Waterworks, so they go right back in time, uh, way past at least 100 years. But the man behind it to tell us a lot more about it is Mervyn Horgan, the manager of the old Cork Waterworks, because I want to talk to the people behind a lot of the tourist attractions while I'm giving the passes away across the summer. So it's good morning to you, Mervyn. How are you? Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well. I have seen it uh, from across the other side of the Lee tributary. It looks spectacular. But what's the Waterworks all about? Well, yeah, well, I suppose what we are, we're a Victorian water pumping station, um, and we're very unique. We're the only one in Ireland that was built, and it happened to be in Cork. And I suppose if you go back to our uh, British Empire days, uh, where Cork was a hub of trade and commerce and a busy place um, that sent goods and services and then people all around the world. So keeping Cork functioning, keeping Cork moving um, was seen as a priority. And what and role did the we- waterworks play in keeping Cork moving? Pumping water? Yeah, well, I... Yeah, well, especially fresh water. It's no different to, to today. Fresh water is very important, um, clean water. So because Cork was, was you know, a maritime um, trading port, you would have also had a lot of, say, you know, diseases, typhoid, cholera, something like that. Um, and we have to think back at the times. I mean, if you want to kind of paint a picture in your head, Cork would have been very much a kind of a, let me see, kind of a Charles Dickens type of style, yeah, you know, yeah. Oliver type of style kind of um, city. Um, before water, um, fresh water was, was, was provided. And to the before city. the waterworks, where were people getting their fresh water? Neil, they'd go down to the, to the harbour walls, they'd throw a bucket in over the, the wall and they'd scoop it up and they'd bring it home. But that was the same place where a lot of people were throwing their rubbish. Correct, correct. And one of the reasons why the location, why, why we're situated today, was, was selected because we're far enough upstream um, um, to avoid any incidents of that occurring, you yeah, know. Yeah, so therefore the amount of diseases that people were coming down with and dying younger from, from rotting teeth all the way to death, must have been off the scale. 
Horrible, absolutely horrible. And we tell a little bit of that story here um, at, at Old Cork Waterworks, you know. I mean, dysentery would have been very common. Uh, the lifespan of people would have been um, very, very short, as you say. We, there was a cholera outbreak uh, in the mid-1850s um, as well. That, 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 and, of course, then you, what you had at the time as well, you had a lot of people leaving the land because we were in the famine years, and they would have been coming into Cork yes. looking to seek, their, seek um, a better opportunity for themselves. Um, and that would have brought its own problems of overcrowding. I mean, the, the, the statistics for the city, I mean, it went from something like 20,000 to 80,000 in the space of 70 years. The population grew. So, and with, with, with these populations um, come, come these issues. But it was also trade and commerce, Neil. I mean, um, the, the, the foresight of, of the, the city fathers at the time the, it would have been the corporation. They kind of realised that, look, if we want to trade in commerce, if we want the city to grow, if we want to kind of be established, that um, a healthy city is, is, is needed. Um, a healthy population is a good workforce. Uh, people come and go. And, and, and that enabled the city to kind of grow outward as well instead of upward. Okay, so the, the old Cork rate. Waterworks then at that time, what are we talking about? The 1800s, mid-1800s kind of thing or what? The, the, the buildings that you can see from, from the uh, Carragan Strait are date back to 1858. Okay. But before that, it was 1870 or 1770 when, when water started to be extracted at the site. Okay, so at what stage then did the contribution of the old Cork Waterworks lead to indoor toilet? Toilets, taps and flush toilets and things. You're, you're talk, yeah, you're, so you're talking from 1869 on and even up to 1904. So the, the waterworks went through four stages of renovations in 50 years. Because we're in the Industrial Revolution, steam technology came in and we still have some of the surviving steam engines and boilers on site wow. today. Yeah, and we, we tell those stories. And especially for families, Neil, we, we, we bring the kids down, we put a hat and a jacket, we give them a few jobs to do in the engine room. We try to get them to be trainee engineers, trainee waterworks employees. I assume none of them fire that, up anymore, do they, Marvin? No, no. 1984, uh, as part of the Cork hundred is the last time they, they turned. fired now, up. Would you imagine what it was been like in Cork homes to have water coming out of a tap? Yeah, but I mean, you don't have to go back. I mean, the city flooded in uh, 10 years ago, you know, um, and 80,000 people had no water yeah. for the best part of, yeah. of two or three weeks. So, and I mean, look, I, I'm of an age where, you know, indoor toilets and, you know, three bathrooms in every in every house and stuff like that. I, I, I didn't grow up in that environment, no, you know. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you'd be sent out, you know, you'd be sent out with the, uh, you'd have an outdoor tap for the flowers and you'd be picking the heads of cabbage up off the garden and stuff like that. I'm of that I'm of that age, you know. So comfort modern comfort is, 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 is you know, I know it, somebody it, it, had I to do the heavy lifting back then and that's what they did back at then, the old Cork Waterworks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so what we do, we like we try to tell that story, we try to reiterate that that um, you know, the importance of water and then you're into the kind of, you know, the conservation and the climate change kind of territory then, you know. Um you know, like water is a resource that has to get treated. Um it, it, it costs a lot, you know, a lot of effort to get it to people's houses and then it has to be treated on their way out as well, you know. So, like, I mean, there, there's a subliminal messaging as well of valuing water as a resource. It's um, a fantastic area. It's well worth the visit. Yeah. There's a playground as well. There's a, all the exhibits are there. Um, children must love it, though, I think, because you've got... Oh, yeah, yeah. But, and I, I suppose, look, we, we kind of reset a bit. We were known as Lifetime Lab and then we rebranded as Orcock Waterworks. Like, Lifetime Lab is a very strong education programme. We do an offer of primary science and events and activities and... We recently did Fitzgerald's Park, the Cork Arnold of Science as well. We 25,000 people show up to Fitzgerald's Park over a long weekend, you know, so, um, which was fantastic. But we, we, we like to kind of, you know, family groups are perfect for us. We like to have conversations with people. I mean, we're coming out of a period of two years of, of you know, not meeting and greeting people. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's important, like, you know, we're finding out where they're coming from, what are they up to, turn, give the kids, you know, a little activity sheet to do, um, so put them to work, so to speak, you know, um, play a few little jokes and little games, the cork humour, you know, we have uh, video clips with cork humour, dating, you know, the Arcadia ballroom and, you know, tricks and salmon and bats and stuff like that, little stories and tales to try and animate the, the, the experience. Well, I'm going to get some families up your way and people can book directly themselves online, I suppose, can they? You can, yeah, yeah. I mean, but this time of year, booking is advisable. I mean, within the last two or three weeks, I mean, the the the, the, the footfall of tours has dramatically increased, Neil, across all of the city. It's not just us now, it's across all of the city. And it, it's great to hear. And the, the, the good buzz, there's a lot of positivity. So people can look up www.oldcockwaterworks.ie and you can book direct. Um, you know, or, I mean, you can always just, just pop along on the day, you know, um, early in the morning or late in the afternoon. Well, there are quiet times. We're busy from about half, 10, 11, up to about Well, I'm delighted you've got a taste as to everything you do there. Wonderful journey through Victorian Cork, if you like, the machinery, the steam engines and everything to go with it. And it's all there waiting for people. Thanks for the passes, Marvin, and good luck for the rest of the summer. Thanks for taking the call. And thanks, Neil, and great show this morning. Thanks for having me Cheers, on. my man. Mind yourself. That's Marvin Horgan, manager of the Old Cork Waterworks. And we have four of those family passes now. Get Get on the phone, 0818-104-106. Bring the family up. There is so much to do and see in this fantastic city and county of ours. Get out there and enjoy it. We'll have more of those to give away tomorrow. Final word, and I'm going to pick up on this tomorrow because it just got really busy on different topics, but I promise you we'll spend a lot of time on friendship tomorrow, on friendship. And an example of that is Miriam. Miriam, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well. So we have a 350 euro hamper to give away on this. It'll be the morning at this stage now. We'll have some fun with it. But I wanted to get the ball rolling. So tell me, what makes a good friend? Um, I suppose basically I'm friends with a, a lady by the name of Linda Ridgway over 40, 42 years. Right. Uh, I met her through another friend of mine, Mary O'Gorman, and we skated in the Arcadia all those years ago back in the early 80s. Ah, you're talking about roller skating now, aren't you? Roller skating, I yeah. I did a and few of those roller it? discos. You never know. Yeah. I might have been the jock there. <laughs> well, my, my own husband was the DJ there with a few <laughs> others and um, he was a bit older than me. You know, he is he's five years older than me and at the time he knew Linda and he pestered her to say, look, would, would you go down and ask Miriam to go with me? And I was saying, no, no, no. So he's, he's watching you so, jocking, uh, yes, skating around on the skates around. down on the floor of the Arcadia. Yes. Yeah. That's it, yeah. Uh, and I said, no, he's too old for me. And she was saying, <laughs> look, just go out with him for a while and then you can just tell him to, you know, take a hike, basically. And Five years older is too older? Are you serious? But, yeah, at the time it was. At the time it was. Right, but okay. Yeah, so now, 36 years later, we're married. We have three children, I have three grandchildren, all with Niall, and all down to Linda. So, yeah, she is, she is, she's a great friend. She did emigrate to, um, Linda, to the UK and came back then two years ago due to the death of her partner. So I put up, uh, I put her up in my home then for a couple of months until she got a place of her own. And was she away in the UK for long? She was. She was there uh, as long as I'm married to Niall, you know, roughly that time and before it. I think she emigrated uh, around 80, 83, 84, My God, you're joking, Michelle. That's like nearly yeah. 30 years. And she stayed yeah. in touch through all those years? Yeah, we did. We, we, you know, we'd ring on the phone. She'd come home. I'd go over to her. 
Um, then it kind of just, you know, it kind of went into a bit of a lull, I suppose, when I had my children. Um, and yeah, she'd come over and I'd know she'd be there because I'd often see her around. And yeah, yeah, she's uh, she's a great friend. Yeah. And I and still to this day, you know, I used to go over and yeah, we're roller skating still. <laughs> and uh, so you're back roller skating. Can you actually go somewhere roller skating? You're doing it on the um, roads we or actually, paths? We skate with uh, Cork Skating Ireland. Uh, we do it. Once a month in um, Little Island um, with Helen Conroy, and uh, I do a bit down by the Dean, or I go down to the skate park by Parky Creek. <laughs> do you really? So, do you really? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you handy <laughs> on them? Like? Would you get up? Well, the, you know, would you get no, up the skateboard? Uh, no, oh no, no. These are the the four wheeler ones now. Like so. Do you remember the roller yeah. discos? You literally just kind of skated around, around in around. circles, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And Just we in circles, like. That's all it is, yeah. You'd be skating around with your friend or, you know, you'd be chatting away and you turn around and you go backwards. So I can still go forward and I can still go backward and just do one or two small tricks. It was really hugely neat. popular, wasn't it? Yeah, and I still have my original pair of skates. Now, I did uh, invest in a new pair last year. My husband bought them. Niall, he bought them for me. <laughs> Uh, the other ones were too dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> you have the original skates in the back oh, from the early 80s. I still have 80s. the arranged ones. I still have them. Yeah. Oh my yeah, God yeah. almighty. It's a, and has, Lind, has Linda got her original as I wonder? She did. She, no, she doesn't have hers but she did buy a new pair as well and she would be a bit more uh, unsure on the skates at the moment due to um, her breaking her ankle years ago. So, you know, but, you know. Hold it, her it's, hand, it's Miriam. Hold I've, her oh, hand. I've, I've held her hand and I've brought her around and my fear is that if she goes down, I go down. And so it should be with <laughs> we'll best friends. Together. We'll all go down together. A <laughs> great it. story. Make sure you're listening tomorrow because I hope to have more stories like yours. It's no top worries. Class. Thanks a million. Thanks so much, Miriam. Thank Cheers. You. And Bye. hi to Bye-bye. Linda as well. Bye. Keep those stories coming. Either text 0868104106 or email neil at redfm.ie. And we have a €350 Euro voucher to give away for the food court at Douglas Court Shopping Centre. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcast.